Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, Dead or Dennis Maller, interview artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And this one is going to be, uh, all right, fair warning. This took a lot of editing to get it to make sense. <laughs> My guest on the podcast today is Diane Carroll, uh, filmmaker, comedian, Diane Carroll. She, uh, all right, so this is what happened. I met Diane a couple weeks ago at JP Porchfest, Jamaica Plain Porchfest, which was, oh, let's talk about that real quick. All right, before I get into that. Uh, so, JP Porchfest, I did not secure the location. The, the organizers secured me a location that I was going to share with two bands. Um, and they gave me my perfect time slot that I wanted, 2 to 4 p.m. Uh, and by the way, if you came out of the JP Portress and you watched the show, thank you so much. It was a great audience. Everyone's the show was fantastic. Uh, everyone pretty much did a, a good job for the most part. So, uh, and the bands were awesome and they were great. I get there early and nobody else there. We're using my PA, uh, because I don't want to change them in between bands. I want a quick, quick downtime, uh, so we can get right into things. So I just offer, we'll use my PA. The first band uses it, fine, not a problem. Second band, they're like, oh, it's not loud enough. We're going to use our own. So they use their own. But here's the problem. Even before they even got there, our contact for the location was not the person for the place. He didn't answer his emails. He didn't answer the phone. Nobody was there. It was a building that's shared by like a masseuse and a law office and uh, I guess an apartment upstairs. It's... So I get there early. Nobody else is there. I'm texting and, and emailing the other bands. None of them are replying. Nobody's answering. And I'm like, there's no power. How are we doing this? So I'm trying to get a hold of everybody. And eventually the bands show up and we get all this. We ask the place next door, hey, can we use it? I ask the bank across the street, hey, can we use this? And we're all figuring out. And then I call the, the masseuse uh, or the acupuncturist, uh, whatever she, uh, whatever it was. Uh, and she calls me back and goes, hey, did you said you needed something about JP Portress? I'm like, yeah, we just need a power outlet. She goes, all right, uh, I thought somebody else would take care of this, but I live upstairs. I'll be right down. We got out, made her. She lets me in. We plug everything in, and everything went fine. But it was just like an hour and a half and two hours of just annoying hassle that didn't need to be because somebody else didn't plan things. That's why I like to keep things in my own hands. That way I don't have to worry about other people screwing up. But um, everything worked out fine in the end, so... Here's the thing, though. Uh, I had a comedian from New York. He was in town. He hit me up with a message on the on Facebook. He's like, hey, I'm going to be in town from New York. Here's my tape. Any chance I could do a spot on your show? Uh, and I was like, you know, the tape's funny. It's good. Uh, here's the thing. It's a daytime, outdoor, afternoon show. Uh, I'm not asking any comedians to be clean, but understand that there may be, it, it's going to be a mixed audience. There may be children. There may be people who don't want to hear dirty, offensive stuff. Um do you have, you know, all I'm saying is I'm warning you that I'm not going to ask you to be clean, but I'm only booking people who I know that have the material to be able to shuck and jive, you know, who's going to be able to handle that kind of environment. Um, if the audience is into it, if they're into the dirty stuff, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. But if they're not divert, he goes, yeah, that's fine. It's great. Anyway, he didn't do well. Uh, it just wasn't his audience. He's a funny guy, uh, but he did not do well in them. And I got to, had to get him out early. Um, because he was just dying up there, and I'm not going to subject it. But he, he, anyway, uh, Diane Carroll, who is my guest on the podcast, she is a uh, photographer, filmmaker, comedian um, from Chicago by way of New York. Uh, or she came from, yeah, she did some schooling in New York. You hear all about it, but she's originally from Chicago. Uh, and she's here for the summer doing a directing class at Harvard Extension School, which she'll talk more about because she's a filmmaker. Uh, was taking pictures for Freddie. 
saw that I had a website and said, hey, you have a, you got a podcast. I'd love to be a guest on it sometime. And I'm like, yeah, sure, not a problem. And she really just strong-armed her way <laughs> into being a guest, which is fun. She was like, no, no, we need to do, we need to set a date. When, when can I come on? I was like, oh, tomorrow? She's like, yeah, fine, great. And we leave. And she comes back, no, 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 tomorrow's not going to work. I forgot. I can't do tomorrow. Uh, can, can, when else? Uh, when else? I was like, uh, Friday. She's like, all right, great, perfect. Friday, what time? 8 p.m. Here's the address. I'll see you then. All right, great. She comes over. We did the podcast. It was a fun time. But uh, so here's the thing, though. Uh, it's a little bit hard to follow because she goes off on tangents. Uh, she has attention deficit disorder and other things that we'll, that we'll get into on the podcast. Uh, and I, I, it's a fascinating... Um, listen, I think, because we're talking a lot of uh, veterans, uh, rights, veteran, uh, how our veterans, military vets are being taken care of uh, because she was in the military. Uh, she did counterintelligence for the military, which is, uh, if you ask me, fascinating because I had no idea what any of that was. Like my, I thought counterintelligence was like spies uh, and like Alan Turing and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's it's not. Uh, but we talk about it. So she, she explains her whole role of that when she became a mother she also talks uh, heavily about uh, uh, mental illness, uh, which I think is a lot of fascinating uh, stuff. So uh, she goes off on tangent. She's a little hard to follow sometimes, but I think I did a great job of editing it and roping her in during the conversation and uh, doing uh, you know wrap-ups when she got too far off topic, just wrapping it back up to get to the subject. So if you can follow through on the podcast, it's an interesting listen. So uh, please enjoy this episode with counterintelligent agent and filmmaker, Diane Carroll. Chasing Amy, she made me look good. I thought I was a big whore in my 20s, and I may have watched, what do they call it, Chinese singer porn? Yeah. But I never did it. <laughs> thought about it. Checked no, it out. No, not even thought about it, but like enjoyed watching it for some reason. I watched it once, and this girl was like, Am I a slut because I like it? <laughs> and I, was, I kept rewinding that part. And... <laughs> um, God damn. Um, Did you guys start filming yet? Okay, wait. Is this how you want to start? Just yeah, like I don't do an intro. I, I do an intro on the post. Oh, great. Okay, <laughs> so um, you know what? No, I picked up all the equipment today. I got two... Um, 10 foot tall box lights. I mean, they adjust, right? They can go up and down. So the lighting is going to be beautiful. I have a floodlight on set, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Um, I, I picked up a, like a fucking, in, in, oops. Is that cool? It's fine, yeah. All right. And in Dutch, it's a very relaxed conversation. All right. Yeah, I just don't know. Like, so I have a friend, 92 The Zoo, down in Mobile, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And my first radio show, he's like, please just no cursing night, whatever you do. <laughs> So now I'm like, well, you know, I want to respect you because uh, I really thank you for having me on. Yeah. I mean, you did strong your way into it. Yeah. Strong arm your way into it. <laughs> oh, I strong armed. Right. Let's get back to that. Please come full circle. Let me just fi finish telling you about the equipment I'm using. Yeah. And then I got a nice little uh, ABC camera or what have you. Um, bada bing, bada boom. And uh, yeah, so this is, we're shooting tomorrow in Dunstable, Massachusetts. That's Northern Mass, a little bit, right? Is right? it? Yeah, I thought it was fucking New Hampshire, for Christ's sake, until he sent me the goddamn uh, actual address. So, yeah. I thought Dunstable was by the Cape. By the Cape? Yeah. I really don't know much of Massachusetts, though. I've only been Cape, here four years. The Cape may have an Unstable in it somewhere. Probably. Possibly. The Cape. 
Oh, man. Oh, Dunstable is north of here. I'm Dunstable is north of here. Okay, so... It's by the just, state line. Okay, so that's where we're going. We got this guy, he, he, he well, he, he's, he insists on a, a producer credit, but hell, I don't mind giving him a producer credit because all my uh, shots, scout locations were outside. It's shitty outside. It's okay if your yeah. knees against mine. I thought it was the, the chair at first. It's okay. <laughs> or the table at first. Our, our knees were just touching out there in the audience, and it, it wasn't awkward. It was it was comfortable, but now we're not touching knees, and it's just as comfortable. Um <laughs> So I'm giving him co-producer credit because he's giving us this. When he was a little boy, he told his mother, "Mom, when I grow up, and how do you, how would you do this in a Boston accent? What do Boston kids sound like? Uh, uh, like ma, ma. They they sound like old old Boston men. That's basically okay. So I'm going to give you a sentence. <laughs> ma, I'm going to give you a sentence, and you say it in a Boston accent. Mm, let's not. I'm not the best at no. accents. Okay, so ba- I'm not a native of here. Basically, my co-producer on the project, or just a producer on the project, um, he told his mother when he grew up that he wanted to buy a uh, a barn, how do you say, a ranch house with a barn of his own, a big red barn. And I'll be goddamned if he didn't grow up, start working for Boston Labs and could (laughs) afford one. Um, so he's giving us, and it's like in a, a bachelor pad, but like a, a, you know, like your house, it's clean. Uh, so it's not like, you know, it's disgusting. So every room's immaculate and every room is like, uh, one is like set in, you know, the wild, wild west. And then the next room you go in is like this tinker tanker room, which I'd only seen once before. And that was when I was on a public affairs deployment. <laughs> Let me just carry this out real quick. <laughs> when I was on a public affairs deployment, my first time to Mobile, Alabama, and we entered the USS Alabama, go figure, it was a battleship, and we went to the heart of it, right? Climbing down all these pipes and tunnels, I felt like a goddamn Boy Scout and shit. And uh, we finally get to the center of this big, huge boat, and there's this tiny room with all these knickknacks and gadgets that fix the ship. It was so cool. It was just so fucking authentic. Do you ever see that in life anymore? Just, you know what I mean? And this exists in this guy's home. So I get to film there and it's just, it's mind blowing. I can't wait. This location is out of, out of control. And he said he's going to have a craft service table for us. Oh, nice. It's nice when somebody provides the craft services for you. (laughs) How did you stumble across this guy? Um, I stumbled across him. Well, I want to talk about craft services real quick. I was on a (laughs) show called Chicago Justice uh, for one episode, no, no big deal. Uh, but uh, they had craft services, which was mad decent. So, like, one day when I get big budget, and then I hear some people are dicks about craft services. Like, uh, for instance, Elton John. Not Elton John. Uh, goddamn, who's the not dead guy? <laughs> Elton John's not dead? No, the not dead guy of the Beatles, who was, like, the lead singer. Oh, uh, uh, Paul McCartney? Yeah, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Like, he's all vegan, and everybody gets vegan food. So, like, you get a whole bunch of roadies who just want a pulled pork fucking sandwich. Yeah, they just want stuff satisfying meat into their face. Yeah, and instead they're getting, like, tofu meat. <laughs> I well, he's also been a vegetarian a very long time. Like but good for him. Long before it was, like... Uh, but that's just, you know what I mean? Like, um, I'm... I'm I, uh, I have my own sexuality, but I don't make everybody else be my sexuality because they're working for me it's the same thing like if you are what you eat this is <laughs> i love okay. craft services are fun i've been mm-hmm. on a couple sets and it's 
It is just the the grazing of all day, just the food, just everything's always there. And it's just you're just constantly putting food in your mouth because you just need something to do. You're standing around, you're talking, you need to fidget. Yes, it's the worst. Do you like... It's the best, but also the worst. I don't know how you think, but I think a lot of money sometimes. And I'm like, God damn, craft services is like wicked expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is like it, the the way when it comes to movies and TV budgets. When I see these things, if you think about how much money they spend on food, because it's what craft services, and then there's the yeah. other company that does food. Like they're two different services. Like um. lunch and dinner uh, are done by one, and craft services are like snacks throughout the day. Even though it's like, oh, we made homemade taquitos. Well, like, and what stuff. do you think the theory behind that is? Like happy people fed people, productive people. Yeah, I guess something like that. I mean, it, it, they're there all day. Might as well feed them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially in the no budget sector. Like, I mean, I raised the- an infant till he was three and it was just like, yeah, you're here all day. I guess I should feed you. <laughs> it was a craft services thing. Yeah. Just let him, let the, the, the kid graze every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, craft services him, are, yeah. are so tempting and it's just so, so difficult to deal with. I love it. But then you, uh, you obviously never see any of the um, main characters out there eating unless they're like rockers. I dabbled in the music industry, so I saw that once happen and yuck, change the subject. <clears throat> um, but before craft services, we were talking about what? The guy. How did you come across this guy for the location? Oh, the guy from the location. Um, I uh, stand up comic in town who is in Boston, rather, who I should give a big shout out to right now. His name's uh, You Better Call Tyrone Jones. Tyrone Jones. Oh, he's been my like in in the Boston comic scene. Ty- uh, Tyrone is one of the friendliest guys in town. And he's he's just been nice to me. I'm like, where's the comedy at? And he answers, you know, we have plans to go see that new movie, The Big Sick, on Friday if we make it. Um, but I really, yeah. Uh, so I've really come to just, I really appreciate him because I don't know why I've been so shy in the Boston comedy scene. I think it like really, really smart people intimidate me. So. <laughs> um, but anyways, going back to like, you know, I have a grin on my face, but Tyrone is just giving me the in on so many, like he, in- he introduced me to Jed's basement. Oh my God. <laughs> the infamous Jed's basement. I love Jed's fucking basement. Especially now that they redesigned it, it's much bigger. It's more homier. Yeah. The concept in general was great, uh, and now that they they flipped the room around one eighty degree, one hundred and eighty degrees, and they cleared out like the whole back half. Yeah. So now it's actually those you assholes. Can, you can have room and sit yeah. down, and, and the chairs aren't on top of each other. It's ergonomical. And you want those assholes built a green room? Yes, they did that too. How cute is that? Yes. Which it's just as dirty as the upstairs kitchen, which was the previous unofficial green, green room. I can't say I never <laughs> met anybody I didn't like. Um, actually, one of the girls working with, well, the lead girl, um, my lead girl is Valley. Uh, last Valdi, name, yeah. Valley D. I cannot pronounce her last name. Valley Russian last name. <laughs> yeah, so I met Valley at Jed's, and I casted her right on the spot. You know, you can tell by somebody, like, just but I can. I'm not clairvoyant, but by the look in their eyes, like, this woman's smart. I would love to have her on board, and I needed, needed to cast. So. I love working with comics. Yeah. Oh, but anyways, so <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Um, Tyrone Jones. In, I, I called Tyrone, and I'm like, well, what are you doing today? And he's like... 
I'm like, let's go do see that movie because we've been trying to see this movie for a while. And he's like, well, I'm going to this party. You weren't invited. And I'm like, you know, no, I wasn't invited. I didn't say that. But he's like, you should come. And I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, it's in my neighborhood. So I go. I meet these girls. Um, uh, one's name was Amanda. And then I met this other girl. Their name, Her name was Amanda. Um, but I'm really bad with names. So uh, it turns out they are a lesbian couple. A couple. Let's just say couple. Amanda's our couple. Are a couple. And they're friends with some uh, Boston improvers. And it was like a Boston improv slash stand-up uh, meetup. Uh, barbecue where we had a fucking ball. Um, I'm very much... I, I love working all the time. And if people want to produce content, then when, since I am a guerrilla filmmaker, when better than like now? Yeah. You know? So, uh, we shot like a musical montage that day at the party. We, I had these blank scenes that I picked up from the Harvard directing class that I'm taking and they're really fun. We can go over a few here in a minute if you'd like, it's very short. But uh, so we we just had so much fun, and the Amandas. Mm -hmm. The next day, I text message them. It's the fourth of July, and I have nothing to do. And and um, you know, uh, in Harvard Square for some reason, message them. They invited me out. So at this point, I still don't know both of their names. I know one of their names is Amanda, but I'm calling both of them Amanda. <laughs> they are now the Amandas, yes. And so I get in the car and I'm like, you know, you guys, I have to be quite frank and honest. Um, I'm actually calling both of you Amanda. And they're like, well, that's because our names are Amanda. I'm like, wait, you guys are a couple and your name is Amanda. You're Amanda's. <laughs> so um, kind of from that, it's just such a small, it's just a, it's a, it's a small town, Go-Go Boots. It's a small town, Boston. It's a small town comedy yeah so we're hanging out with the amandas on oh yeah yeah, yeah. thank you, you. i have add really bad <laughs> thank you for you're a good host so hanging out with the amandas um they picked me up from harvard square and we drove to what i thought was new hampshire which turns out to be dunstable, dunstable mass, mass right and uh we get to this fabulous farmhouse it was the one John Mason, the co-producer, had told his mom that he was going to buy when he was a little yeah. kid. So that's where we met John. He was grilling. He had these two big ducks in the backyard. He has about like four acres of land uh, off of some road, you know, when, uh, and a pool. And so I spent all day outside in the pool area. And then I got the tour of the home, and uh, the tour of the home is just amazing. And he had mentioned, you know, um, something to the effect of, I am going to be letting the local theater guild know that they can have full access to my five-story brand-new red barn that's attached to the house. I mean, it fucking smells. five-story barn? It smells like carpenter sweat. It's so new. <laughs> smells Why do you need a barn that's five stories? I know. How, it, it's not an You arc. need it for my tea party. <laughs> it, smells like, it smells like sweat from, like, maybe the upholstery shop Jack White. No. <laughs> Um, maybe he used to work in Jack White, Jack White, Jack White. I say his name three times, like Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetles. He never showed Hoping up. he'll show up. Yeah. Have okay, you tried it in the mirror with the lights off, like Bloody Mary and No, God damn it, no. <laughs> um, but Jack White does look like a ghost fucked a vampire, so maybe if I did do the Bloody Mary route, he would spiritually appear. That's okay, Diane. 
That's okay, Diane. Um, <laughs> so so we're yeah. So we met him on the Fourth of July, and he was like all <laughs> thanks, like all Massachusetts New Englanders. Like um, you're just like Chicagoans. You're not gonna break for at least forty five minutes, and it's only until I say something smart finally that you know, like people will be super friendly. So John Mason was not entirely friendly, you know, at first. He said, this is a great location. Well, I said, thank you for the, you know, letting me be here. He's like, yes, you're, um, you know, try to stay on the guest list. We have quite a few parties. And at the end of it, he's like practically giving me the house, which is amazing. I'm quite the charmer sometimes. But no, what I was saying was John Mason was giving me the tour of the home. He's like, yes, I'm going to lend this to the local theater guild here in Dunstable, Mass. Don't you think that's a great idea? Will they love it? And I'm like, yes, they'll love it. And I'm seizing seething rather with jealousy and quite transparent and mm-hmm. you know and at this point he knows that I'm directing this summer and he said well Diane if you ever you know what I mean just waiting for the the ex- for him to extend the and offer and I I told you I'll tell you what I used to be like for some reason in my younger days I would close that door on the opportunity like no I don't need your help I can do this all by myself but like I'm not closing the door on an opportunity like that that's amazing yeah when you start getting into like uh, when you create things when you're when you're young and you're inspired by stuff you have a tendency just to want to create you don't care if somebody's around you do it by yourself then when you become older and you've been doing so much stuff by yourself for so long you start just going i just want people now to be involved so it's easier on me all right the more involved the, uh, the more people involved the less work i have to do myself i have to tell you what i'm doing right now i'm lending my hands out as if i'm motioning to you to put your hands on mine like we're oh. playing miss mary mac lend me your hands if we should be friends and we'll make a serpent's mens this man understands me god damn it yeah no it is it's like it is self-starting as an artist, like an artist, an artist, right? Anybody can say they're anything. I can say I'm a goddamn doctor, for Christ's sake. It's in my email, Dr. Diane. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I'm a fucking doctor. It's your and, Twitter handle. And it, Yeah. Uh, we'll talk all about that in a minute. Yeah, that is my Twitter handle. I don't tweet that much. I just did it for Jack White's attention. But um, <laughs> back to what we were saying is, it, oh, okay, let me, this perfect example. I was in touch with America's Worst Chef with the Food Network, and they loved me, and they wanted to promote me and I had meetings and meetings and all the way up to the executive producers, but they had asked me at one point, you know, they're like, what do you do? Because I am in retirement. So we'll circle back to your point, right? Um, and uh, they're, they're, so I'm like, I am an artist now. I took that on full time because I've, I've always been an improv, according to Sandy Meisner, 20 years after doing anything, you're an expert. Next year, I'm an expert improviser. Gorilla at that, but God damn it, you know. So that and the arts, and then I just decided to dedicate my arts, which we'll get into later. And uh, the the what the analogy was, um, what were we talking about? We were talking about bringing people in so you don't have to do all the work yourself. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. They said to me, <laughs> they're like Diane, the you know a typical smirky question, but you know I'm from the East Coast too, for all intents and purposes, so I can give you a smirky answer, but. Or even the Midwest. We're really good at being smart asses. Yeah, Chicago, I don't think Chicago counts as the East Coast. No, it doesn't. But we're good smart asses nonetheless. Um, it's what we have in common with the East Coast. Yes. Uh, so so yeah. anyway, so oh, 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 let me finish this train of thought. One second. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. So um, I said I'm an artist artist, you know? And they, they said, me explain, I did a little bit. Then I said, because I grew up in a period of time when you, nobody's going to hand me anything. 
I want a Netflix series. I want a Netflix series. I can say that till I'm blue in the face. You know, uh, that's never going to happen unless you start creating content yourself. So I became a producer. I became director. I became writer. And I've got I, actors and actresses accomplish acts to work with me on the sole purpose of the fact that I've got this incredible drive. And that's what you need in this business. You know what I mean? Some say it's luck. Some say it's sucking dick. Some say it's this or that. If you have, like, you know what I mean? You can create anything. Um, so that's what I was saying. Nobody's going to hand you anything in this business. you got to self-start. But God damn, I need, a, I need an editor, <laughs> a sound editor. Uh, director of photography would be nice. You know, all those things. That's why we got to collaborate, man. Yeah, it's nice to have those people doing things so you can wear less hats and your brain can just relax and think about and focus on the one thing that you need to focus on. What's that? What was what that for you? I was doing, uh, when I started in college, the same thing for me was I was doing a uh, internet radio show. And I was booking the artists, going to shows, interviewing them, yeah, producing, yeah. doing live segments, meeting people, and then managing a band, two bands at the same time. That fucking rule. Yeah. So it's like I'm doing all these things. And now that I'm 36 years old and you're about the same age as me, all I want to do. Go fuck it, yourself. Yeah. I'm 32. Two. Yeah. You're almost my age. Yeah. Do I look old today? No, you look 32. That's fine. Go ahead. That's not Stop that. flinching. I'm not going to hurt you. He starts flinching after he said that, by the way. His old body's are convulsing. Go but, uh, on. Go so, on, yeah, man. no. Uh, so, it's now at, at 36, I just want to do like what I just want to host a show. Or I just mm-hmm. want to produce the show mm-hmm. and have somebody else have to worry about doing show prep um, mm-hmm. or interview or uh, researching guests or booking people to come intern. on. Intern. You might yeah, want to. I want an intern. I want a producer. I want somebody else to edit my podcast for me. Yeah. Uh, just instead of having to do everything myself. Yeah. Same so, thing with movies. Like you just want to write and direct or whatever it is I, that you want to do. You, yeah. you're right. You're and you right, want yeah, somebody yeah. else to worry about taking yeah. the shots and hanging the lights and all that other shit. Uh, I love being producer, but I want somebody else to pay for everything. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's the, Don't we all want somebody to pay, uh, somebody else to pay for everything? Um, especially craft services. When are we... Yeah, especially craft services. <laughs> John Mason, the co-producer, the guy in Dunstable giving us the five fucking story barn and everything else. Is uh, providing craft services full circle. Hey, can we talk about my career and stuff? Yeah, because I'm curious because you said you're retired. Yeah. From military? Um, military and the federal government. What did you do for the federal government? I was a Veterans Benefit Administration claims examiner. Okay, so through, so did you serve in the Army or did you just I work with I served in the Army for okay. six years. I had a break in service. But um, two of these years, uh, oh, okay, um, th- yeah, do you mind if I just go? Yeah, go. Do. Okay, go. Okay, I'm, cool. I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah, I want to know. No, okay, so I've kind of, I talking about wearing many hats, I, um, my father had a good work ethic. My mom, you know, bless her heart, with as low as her IQ is, <laughs> uh, had a great work ethic, you know what I mean? Like my little brother. I remember, you know, this is a horrible story to remember him by, but he would be snot, yellow, green nostril coming out of his nose because he just discovered alcohol the night before and would go to work, you know what I mean, and just hang in there. So, you know, we, uh, my dad bought a, had a 7,000 square foot home in the middle of the Great Depression and I, not the Great Depression, but the Great Recession. I had to man that, you know what I mean? 
So like now that I have a little bit of money, I'm like, uh, I'm never doing my own manual labor in my house or housework or anything like that. You know oh, yeah. what I mean? I sit in an office and I never want to, the two things that I always hated when I would do construction work is dig holes and paint walls. And I refuse at this day and age when I sit painting walls. When I sit at a desk now that my day job is sitting at a desk, I was like, the only thing I refuse to do is dig holes and paint. Paint. I'll help you do everything else. I'll come over and I'll help you build your entire house. But you got to dig the holes and you got to paint the walls. I'll do everything else. You literally painting walls is the worst. It's what do you even throw uh, Spotify on? And, like, then you're still, like, does that help you forget the fact that you're painting a fucking wall? Yeah, that you're doing a monotonous, very specific. And I'm also obsessive compulsive, so I can't do, if I, it can't be perfect, it's going to drive me crazy. Now, at my age, I've now learned that there's certain things out of my control, but still painting, like, just flicking a little bit of paint everywhere or on myself. And it just, it's so monotonous and boring and, ah. I hated yes. it. I read a short story. I read short stories. Um, and it was about yellow wallpaper. And then I just always thought about it. And I had this asshole brother-in-law right when I got out of the military. Um, and, uh, God, I had to go live with my... Never again will I live with family. <laughs> they, you know, older, getting older Especially actually in-laws. kicks a lot of ass. Yeah, and he was pretty fucking arrogant, but he was also did some pretty miraculous things in my life for a human being. So we don't hate him entirely. But he did insist that I pull my weight around the house, which I just told you I'm a naturally lazy person. I Mm -hmm. will have a house cleaner instead of cleaning (laughs) So he said, Diane, we have a, you know, it was like a 3,000 square foot home. They wanted to paint every fucking wall. All right. And I didn't have an iPod. And there no, was no air conditioning is, in the house. The, the late nineties, yeah. And he was Early like 2000s. an old drill sergeant treating me like I was, you know. So that was the last time I painted. I'm like, you know what? F you. I'm not. I. This is, you know. I hate painting walls. <laughs> so when you were, when did you go into the army? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. I took a one of those. Um. Bada bing. Bada boom. Left high school early because of the ADD, which is clear. You guys have heard it all throughout this <laughs> podcast. And then um, I took like one of those years off and moved up north to New Jersey to visit. So you my... graduated early, or did you drop out? Um, I dropped out. Okay. I mean, yeah, I guess at sixteen. Uh, can I be honest? 15, 12, Fifteen. Twelve. Nine. Fifteen. Sophomore year. Jeez, but that's I'm early. Impress you. I'm gonna impress. That's you. fine. Yeah. Not, I'm not judging. Well, I just think that, like, the way my brain is wired, like, I, I, every moment I'm learning right now, you know, staring at your fucking wallpaper and yeah. listening to you, and it's just a continual process. It partly makes me a great writer. It's the power of observation. It's the power of, so, you know what I mean? I didn't fit in fucking high school. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't, and I left. High school's less about learning... Uh, book smarts, well, there's that's important too, but it's more about learning social skills. And if you're already someone who has social skills or don't care about social skills, high school could be the worst place to be. It's it's where you learn to become a person, but if you're already kind of a person who's able to interact with others, then what the fuck are you doing there anyway? I was the most popular girl in school. Do you know that? 
No, I wouldn't have, but okay. My brother, I could see it. my brother was in the bathroom once. And like some guy walked up to him and he's like, Your sister Diane. <laughs> I wasn't popular for like the cool reasons, you know what I mean? I just fucking love everybody. I yeah. love people. You're infamous. And I just love talking and just so I that was how my high school was spent. Uh, so you anyway, leave high so, school, you yeah, take a year yeah, yeah. off. So I, I brought Diet Coke so I could wake up. Where's my Coke? Or man, oh, it's in the bag there. Uh, there's uh, my coffee. Yeah, there's coffee. Yeah, right there. so no, no, no. Okay, so I left high school. I moved up to New Jersey. My godmother's an American Airlines flight attendant. She exposed me to fine art for the first time, and I went fucking nuts. I never thought I'd be a comedian one day, but like she brought me to New York. Long story short, um, and then I had to make a decision. I'm, they're like Diane because we just all watched. The movie Hair together oh, as a family. Wow. Yeah, there's a mo- there's a crazy movie to show a 15 year old. Well, I was like, well, how did my godmother? My godmother and she's she's African American. She's married to a Jewish man who was in a band called the Dovells. They were a one hit wonder in the 60s. The the Bristol Stomp and all these other things. But anyways, they would teach me these life lessons um, through like multimedia channels. Like, um, for instance, when uh, I expressed interest in journalism, they insisted I watch it Almost Famous, which, you know, that movie changes your life. And James Cameron is somebody to look up to and yada, yada, yada. Later on, I ended up living an Almost Famous lifestyle. Man, I hope Michael Panico's listening. <laughs> Who's um, Michael Panico? I'll tell you all about my Somerville Michael Panico here in a minute. He would kill me if he heard this. Or maybe he wouldn't. He's so cute. I miss you. Yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, long story short, so I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about joining the military. My sister did it. I'm taking a private Benjamin route. No way I'm getting deployed. This is that. Um. I'll get in, get out. You know. What's a private Benjamin route? Um, private Benjamin was when Goldie Hawn played. It's kind of a stupid trailer, maybe. That they, they recruited Goldie Hawn to the military and um. They promised her, uh, like, Santa Barbara, California, or, you know, Maui, you know, which is, you know, fucking... Lush and comfortable and not threatening at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of was, you know, I'm growing up and I'm becoming less naive and, like, I, I'm, I'm pretty smart, but, like, hell, I didn't think anything bad was going to happen to me, you know? Yeah. So you joined... So you so I joined like, the military. dropped out of school at 15... <laughs> Spent a year with your godmother learning mm. about art and journalism and all that stuff. In Chicago, got my GED like oh, really got fast. GED. That's good. Yeah. Oh, I totally got yeah. my GED immediately. Good. My and gen- then you. Yeah. Ju- so and you so joined then the I military. joined. I tested well. I told you I wasn't stupid. Yeah. And I got into counterintelligence. Okay. Mm. That's a thing they still do. I'm sorry. That's a thing that the military still does. Um, it's it's at a very low echelon. Um, it, any kind of like good news or good news rather, uh, any kind of, um, work that, uh, counterintelligence at the echelon I was working at, if it were actually of substance, we would have to push it up the channels and then, um, the CIA or the FBI, depending on what jurisdiction we were in would take over the case. Here's the funny thing. This is- We'd write it. I had a top secret sensitive compartmented information clearance that I would use only in training. I never hurt anybody and I never went overseas. 
but that's what they gave me. But uh, a friend, an interrogator friend of mine at Abu Ghraib, real quick story, mm-hmm. he would write and a report at a sensitive level and then push it up the chain of command. It would become top secret and he would never be able to find out like what you know happened to the report. Then he would see it in the news later. It was just kind of funny how things get out of your hand and out of control like that. Yeah, see, it's a dark topic. It's a yeah. weird thing to talk about. Uh, you know, no, my best uh, friend's oh, brother is one yeah. of the guys in that uh, documentary about Abu Ghraib, where he's the dude like like punching a dude, a naked uh, no prisoner in the nuts. He's like, rah, 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 yelling oh at my him. God. I was like, oh, that's your brother. That's why, why do you Cameron keep hanging out with that asshole? It's, it's like, you, you know, uh, let me say one <laughs> other thing. Um, my um, son's father was also at Abu Ghraib. In 2003. Huh? Ryan? Yeah, Ryan Trummel. Um, And, uh, well, my son's father, Ryan Trummel, was in Abu Ghraib in 2003. And we had this garden gnome. And um, it sat on the windowsill of Ryan's barracks room. And, well, at the time, the gnome's name was Louie. But by the time he got back from Baghdad, it was Lucky Louie. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Because Lucky Louie had shrapnel from mortars blow off his head. Jeez. Which was right next to Ryan Trummel's head. So, so it's, like, Jesus. my heart's beating out of my chest right now. It's just, it was a fucking a horrible mess. I hate war. It's barbaric. It's fucking nuts. And yeah, it is all to fund money to a couple people, which should have Americans' best interests at heart, unless they're just so. How can money be that. <laughs> I. Okay, let's see if we get into that. Yeah, I don't really want to go. We could be here for hours on that. Here, on a lighter note, I don't, we're not going to go there. On a lighter note, I did have a whole bunch of linguist friends and a friend of mine, Tracy Crane. She's actually a New Hampshire girl now. Um, She was in the military with Brian and I at the 202nd Military Intelligence Battalion in Fort Gordon, which is in Augusta, Georgia, where they have the Masters every year. Um, And uh, she was in a long interrogation with uh, somebody at Abu Ghraib. It was a bad, bad, bad terrorist, okay? And she said to him at the end, because people were watching through a two-way mirror. Yeah. Right? And she cued them to listen. You know what she said to that terrorist? What? I have good news and bad news for you. Which one would you like first? And the guy says, good news? Bad news, what does he say first? She goes, well, you know what? You don't have a choice. I'm going to give you the bad news. What you did was very terrible. And uh, not only cost you ever seeing your family again, it cost American lives and you're bad. You're going to jail for a long time, if not dying. The good news is I saved uh, 30% or more of my car insurance by switching to Geico. (laughs) And everybody lost their shit. And, you know, it's a controversial <laughs> joke. You laugh at it, but we can laugh at it. She said that everybody lost their shit because they, you, Tracy was dead serious. She's like, I mean, this guy was, you know, and that's the worst thing you can say to a terrorist mm-hmm. is that, you know, if you ever want to, if you guys ever, listen, if you're ever interrogating a terrorist, <laughs> tell them they're never going to see their family again. It's yeah. what's they, the hold they hold the most important. Yeah. John That's Oliver did a great um, uh, segment about uh, how torture doesn't work. The thing that works the most is just 
trying yeah. to relate to them, telling them, hey, what can I do to help you? You help me, I help you. We're lying to you, of course. We're not going to help you terrorists. Yeah, We're going to fucking fuck your fucking world up. Mm-hmm. But, you know. So, you were doing counterintelligence. Under. So, I was doing counterintelligence and see how it kind of like takes me to a dark place. <laughs> I'm not a dark person. I don't know where else it's coming from. I got out of counterintelligence. I thought it was a bit intense and Ryan... And I ended up. So, what up, are you mostly doing during counter during counterintelligence? What is what, like, what I'm doing for right me, now? It's, it's what we're doing, talking, just talking, and writing like long, extensive reports about like is it wiretapping? Is it uh, interviews? Because I don't know. My yeah, only yeah. my only understanding of counterintelligence is World War Two, wind talkers. Like uh, code breaking and all that kind of stuff. All right, like let me break it down. Alan Turing and that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, some people thought it ironic because Ryan, we've established my son's father, he was an interrogator and I was counterintelligence. So what is happening is in the intel world, I mean, in the rules, uh, in the battlefield, right? Especially in the Middle East, the best intelligence officers in the entire world are the Israelis. Think about how they won the Six-Day War. Think about how they survive on a daily basis surrounded by enemies. It's called intel. And nobody has better intel than those guys out there. I had a friend from Pakistan who went to go visit. He was home for two days, and the mailman knew he was there. (laughs) These guys gossip. That's intel, all right? So what we're trying to do as a counterintelligence agent is go into the community and liaison with the mayor, liaison with, um, you know, every official you can think of. We also have an office that people can walk into where we make them feel very comfortable and then ask them questions. And sometimes they say, well, I've got, you know, I've got to report something. Because I played a role playing. So they would, you know, here's the situation. You come, uh, terrorists, not terrorists, but like, you know, somebody living in that community comes into my office and I'm very worried about my family and there's a weapons cache. I know where it is and you just need to get it the hell out of our neighborhood because we're sick of these fucking terrorists too. Yeah. You know, but they don't say it in those words. So I asked them, where's the weapons cache? Give me the great coordinates. Inside the weapons cache, if you've seen the weapons cache, who knows about the weapons cache? You pretty much ask the who, what, where, when, and why, and then each who, what, where, when, and why has subcategories, and you write it all down in a big fucking report. So counterintelligence is trying to keep them from getting intelligence on us. Okay. Interrogation is trying to extract intelligence. I don't know how to explain this. Extract information from them. Yeah, but I'm also, as a counterintelligence, trying to extract information from them. But, but all, all, in, all in all, we're trying to save Americans' lives and not let, uh, in public affairs, we have minimum disclosure, maximum delay. M- you know, so don't fucking talk about it and for as long as you possibly can. And then, conversely, there's you know, uh, minimum disclosure, maximum delay. It's all how you release information and in terms of saving Americans' lives. They don't really need any intel on us. Wind talkers, what you know of, was Hmm. fucking genius. 
God damn it, genius. <laughs> well, it's are you d- doing it as a military personnel, or do they think you're somebody else? Do they know? Uh, no. Like, it's not uh, undercover work, No, clearly. it's not undercover work. Actually, they advised against that. I thought it was a smart ass. I've always been, you know, surprised. <laughs> but we were in Intel school, and I raised my hand, and um, they're like role-playing, so I definitely raised my hand. And then they're like, okay, so we're going to interrogate you, Diane. Um, and, uh, they're like, okay, yes. What is your name? Uh, my name is Molly Ringwald. Oh, okay, Molly, where'd you go to school or what do you do for a living? And then I was like, well, I'm a doctor. Um, and I graduated, you know, from Harvard and then went into chemical engineering at MIT and I got my ass handed to me. They're like, don't you ever fucking lie like that. Like, lie to say, yeah, sure, everything's going to be fine. If you give me the information, we'll get you back home to your family. No, they're probably never going to see their families no. again because they're fucking terrorists. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but they'll like, never lie to the people. Yeah, about don't like about who you are because they get fact checks you. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, you went to MIT? What year? Really? Who's your admissions counselor? Did you know so and so? Oh, no, he died years ago. You know what I mean? Like, shit like that. So, I guess, like, Everybody lies, but lying across the board is probably pretty shitty. Oh, what wicked webs we weave when first we try to deceive. So anyways, I fucking yeah, got out wanna, of it. You, you don't want to betray their trust, the person who's giving you information. No, you. but no, because it's not really on a trust-as-needed basis. There's like, well, there, okay, so well, this goes two ways. If you're coming into my office and you're divulging information to me, there's not really much trust that... You know what I mean? You're trusting me. And I'm trusting you and my security guards outside that you don't have a bomb on you. And yeah. you know what I mean? So, like, it's not a fucking matter of trust. It's a matter of me getting all this information from you. It's informants. It happens every day, even here in America. Informants, I, I would collect. The, the other part of my job was, um, which I always thought was cool, uh, was the, like, and, and, of course, it was not available to women, which is another contention we'll talk about later on as my career progresses. But um, I was always, if I were told, if I were going to South Korea, that they would use me in intelligence meetings, but I would just be dressed up because I was a blonde bombshell when I was a kid. And that um, since I am like hyper observant stuff and like I would be a fly on the wall taking notes and smiling and being the mouthpiece and talking and saying, so that's a woman's role. Yeah, you're, you're, like, you're the eyes God or damn, you're, you're like, there for their eyes. I mean, yeah. I don't mind doing that. You know what I mean? Especially if it's saving Americans' lives. Fuck yeah, I'll be a snitch in a North <laughs> Korean meeting. Yeah, you know what I mean? As long as I can get the fuck out of North Korea as soon as possible. Um, I would never go to North Korea. Okay, this is all figure. What am I saying? <laughs> so, counterintelligence. You were in that. You were, t- you were describing the job. Now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the thing was is that we had a budget. This is not classified. None of this information I'm telling you is classified because it's all you could look it up anywhere and that WikiLeaks and stuff. But we would have a budget to liaison with, um, liaisoning with like, you know, the chief of um, the police to station because we always want to be in touch with them so we can coordinate intel to locate weapons caches and people of suspicious behavior and so on and so forth, but shouldn't fucking Baghdad. There's bombs going off everywhere. Like, who the fuck knows? Mm-hmm. Anyways, but we would be able to buy them gifts. So, like, Bribery Amer- almost. American cigarettes, yeah. 
But like now that I'm in show business, kind of like we do the same thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, you just bribed me with cookies, which it, was the I right did thing. Bri- yeah. I brought cookies and Diet Coke. <laughs> I mean, cookies gifts was the are right nice. thing. Gifts are nice. Yeah, cookies are. But, well, when I was in college, I used to have to help all the lower. Uh, I wouldn't and didn't have to. A lot of the students who were behind me would come to me to help their radio projects and their TV projects, and they were always like, "How can I repay you?" I'm like, "Eh, you know, just I'm, I'm not. I'm not. This is not what I do." And back then, they're like, "Oh, here." They would come back in the next day. He's like, oh, here, I know you smoke. Here's a pack, a pack of cigarettes. I'm like, oh, yeah, cigarettes work then. Now that, I'm, I, that I've stopped smoking. We need to talk about cookies. that. We need to talk about that later. I don't want to talk about it right now because it'll just irritate me and make me want to go smoke cigarettes. So just drop it. Yeah, I brought him cookies. The Chewy Chewy, chewy Chips, chips Ahoy. Ahoy. Yes. And I'm trying. I'm holding off not eating them in front of the microphone. I was at like a halal <laughs> beef rush. I know. I'm like, I'm bringing food. It was a halal uh, little place. So I'm like. I don't know. We can get some really weird ethnic food, bring it over, which would make me weirder. <laughs> I don't know how to cook this. Not that ethnicity is weird. Is it still considered racist if it's ethnocentric and I meant it as a compliment? <laughs> the intent um, is not racist. Yeah. No. Okay. So um, basically, like. So you're bribing. You, yeah, city bribing officials. public officials with, you know, booze and probably prostitutes what we weren't allowed to do was take money and gifts from them of course because like they have boat tons of it it is like feast or fucking famine in those countries um because of the oil there's like if you're a kuwaiti citizen for example you get distributed like fucking 10 billion dollars a year just to be a citizen similarly like you're gonna find that um in alaska like it's kind of like a cola like a cost of living allowance or no no better example like seminal indians Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um so kuwaitis and uh, syrians and a lot of these middle eastern countries are so fucking oil rich that um they distribute the wealth between the natural born citizens Oh. Yeah, so like it, there you'll see a big um vast uh extreme like for instance, you know, you see these roads and they're, they're the oldest civilization in the world yet there's no real grid system and it still seems like you're in the middle of fucking nowhere but you'll see a goddamn Maserati come down the road. <laughs> and then the Maserati loses a tire, they're so fucking rich they get out of the car and they like hail a camel. <laughs> Go back to wherever and buy a new car, I guess. I know that polygamy is also legal in the Middle Eastern culture. And don't quote me on any of this, but you have to, if you say you have seven wives, each wife has to be treated the exact same way. They don't have to live together like they do in Iowa or, you know, where else? Where's a Brigham Young. Brigham um, Young. That's in, that's in um, Colorado? Somewhere. No, uh, Utah. Sorry. No, polygamy, like they do yeah. in L.A. <laughs> well, anyways, so each wife has to have, like, you know, if one drives a Maserati, the other one gets, like, a Maserati or something equal to. So it's just, like, expensive, but you can have, like, as many wives as you want, I guess. In Middle Eastern culture, always really fascinated me, but, um, and a lot of people would, like, not a lot of people, because I don't really get into it, but I don't really dive too much into politics nowadays, because... I don't see a lot changing from what is, you know, when I did watch it and it just drives me nuts and I refuse, you know, 
of course, the Science Journal, which is supposed to be one of the most unbiased publications, still pisses me off. You know, I'm sick of right and left fucking opinions. I just want, like, all those old people in Congress to not necessarily die, but move on with their <laughs> lives, give give away, you know what I mean, and let these just new... Because I am, I am a conservative Republican, but I have the most progressive, you know, liberal views and agendas compared to most of them it's not hard to be considered liberal against them but were you stationed so, yeah, in the thanks. middle east um no never um i had one opportunity in the beginning um to go to a green zone called um qatar it's in the united arab emirates yes but like i don't know i was 20 years old and um it was the first time i'd ever had a real boyfriend so ryan my son's father mm-hmm. Um, and Ryan was just, we were traveling every weekend together and having so much fun. And I'm like, um, fuck Qatar. Cause it was, it was like, they were like, well, do you want to go? And I'm like, you know, well, you know, kind of. And the more research I did on it, I'm like, so it's totally a green zone and yada, yada, yada. Oh yeah. So, but I stayed with Ryan and we, you know, the rest is history. In Qatar? In, no, I did not go to Qatar, but I did go with my boyfriend, Ryan, and we ended up having a baby together. The girl who did go to Qatar. Austin, yeah. Austin, yes. Um, the girl who did go to Qatar kind of comes full circle. We were allowed to give them gifts. We weren't allowed to accept gifts from them. But the girl who took my place and went to Qatar took so many gifts from the locals she came back with like diamond bracelets <laughs> and you know the whole nine yards. She was like the Arab little. So CI was going to send you to Qatar. Yeah. Um, but you didn't go. No. Where were you doing all your CI work? Here um, in the States? Yeah. And here in the States, well, that's a really good question. None of this. I'd love to tell you about this. This is another reason why it fucking irritated me and I had to get the hell out. Um, have you guys ever heard of the good old Patriot Act? You yeah, remember that one? Of course. What is it in terms of your memory? What do you remember about it? Uh, it gave, it was an executive order from the president that basically gave CIA and NSA too much rights to checking in on your privacy and, and wiretapping. It gave that it, it gave them less opportunity. Or it was, there was less red tape in setting up wiretaps and spying on people and all that shit. So I don't, I can't say exactly, but obviously. No, I know what I mean. The 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 my, more the, I know the immoralness behind it. No, I um, I'm so glad you answered that question and you know what you're talking about because I thought I I I'm not calling you an idiot, but sometimes it's important that people know what the Patriot Act is because it's. Oh, I'm very ignorant years. of most of the of what goes on in politics. No, I know, but these but are these are the things. I, I mean, did just watch Enemy of the State recently, so I'm kind of Enemy. I just wrote a paper about <laughs> Enemy of the State. Um, no, but it's important to remember, like, these policies that are set in place, like, prior administrations. You know what I mean? A lot of people gave uh, Barack Obama a lot of hell for, you know, the infringement on our privacies that was set in place by George W. Bush, like, five, six years before him, you know. And uh, we worked in a town where this, um, this was being tested on the locals, you know Just what I mean? The, like, pay, what, the, yeah, like we, when we were not deployed, we were studying and training intelligence, gathering techniques. On American soil? On American soil. So you guys were stationed in a city to test methods of extracting information from locals? Yeah, but we would do them field training exercise environments and the locals would be paid actors. 
Um, and then there was like one stupid fucking assignment. I'm not going to get shot for this because hell, I'm crazy. I could be lying. <laughs> but um, they gave us, and I'll teach you this game, everybody. It's called the elicitation game. It's a good bar game to pick up. But um, elicitating mean gathering information surreptitiously, meaning without somebody exactly knowing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's called the elicitation game. And I remember that uh, one of our projects were to go to the mall and, you know, um, find out things, you know, uh, challenge each other, like go into the jewelry shop and find out when the jewelry shop, you know, had her first date or what the name of her dog was. But here's the point of the elicitation game. You Instead of going to say, hey, what's the name of your dog? You want to go in there and like, um, oh, I'm looking uh, for a new charm bracelet um, and it's for my boyfriend or it's whatever it's for. And, hey, do you happen to have one of the dog? Because I love dogs and then hope that she would d- divulge that information. How do you know that? I'm a smart guy. You're smart. You're very <laughs> smart, which also goes back to like we are all. I also know ev- what the word uh, serpentitious and, and elicit- elicitation okay, so means. So I gave you good context. Um, but no, it's important for everybody to know out there that we're all natural born intelligence gatherers. We do it, you know, anyways. But back to what you were saying. Ding, ding, ding. You're exactly fucking right. <laughs> but the other part of the elicitation game is you're going to have to think of it as an hourglass. Right? Like you did. Like you just described. You open up the conversation broad. What's in the middle of the hourglass is the piece of information you need. What's at the bottom of the hourglass is all the conversation you then develop to confuse her for remembering the middle of the hourglass question. Point is, you leave. I come in, talk to her and say, you know, that guy's kind of on our watch list and uh, we just need to know what he was talking to you about. And if she goes... I don't know. He was just talking about how he loves watches. Or if she says, you want to know about my dog, then you lose the game. But if she forgets, Ah. so like the hourglass is open up broad, go in tiny, find out what you get to need to know, and then open up broad again and leave him confused. It's the art of confusion. Did you ever read The Art of War? No, I've never read The Art of War. You got to read it. I've read one book all the way through my entire life. fuck you, anybody who says I'm a douche for reading The Art of War. My, my roommate who was in the army, my old roommate back in Baltimore, uh, where I'm from, he was in the army uh, and he would, he's very liberal, uh, but he would watch Fox News all the time. And I'm like, why are you watching this? You don't agree with any, it drives you crazy because I just want to keep up on what the enemy is doing. Like you have yeah. to know what they're doing every once in a while. If you want to know what the enemy is doing, like study the past. No, that's why I don't know. That's why I don't know what the enemy is doing right now. Um... I just know that I have faith in, like, the Israeli soldiers and their intelligence. Um, we need more support. We need we need a lot of stuff. And, it, it, you know, this gives me so much fucking anxiety. With Like, I was, to you know, that kid in the sixth grade so concerned about global affairs. Like, as soon as I figured out, you know, what the hell was going on because I'm getting a, like an ulcer right now thinking about it. I had to let it go. So I left. I left Intel. Um, and Ryan and I had a child and we traveled like all around the country this magical summer and, you know, we really did have a beautiful relationship but then a couple years later we divorced, so to speak. And um, I went back into the military because it was all I knew and it was the middle of the recession. So it was 2008, and 
you know, I couldn't get a job at a Starbucks. So I went back in, which was the smartest thing I'd ever done. And this time, a little bit more on a lighter note, I did broadcast journalism and public affairs. Okay. No, see, that's <clears throat> the reason you asked me, why do I know what uh, the elicitation uh, game is and all that stuff? Uh, the reason I know that is because it's my, and uh, what I learned is the techniques of good interviewing. Like, I hate when I watch something like The View. Uh, it's usually the one that drives me the craziest. Like, I'll be on the gym, I'll be at the gym, I'll be on the treadmill or bike or whatever, and I'll be looking up and the view's in front of me, and or one of those morning talk shows, whatever, and it's the worst interview question where somebody goes, now, I hear that you know uh, karate. Why don't you tell us about that? That's not a question. That's a request. And that's what drives me crazy in interviews is when somebody requests somebody to start talking about something instead of naturally bringing up into conversation. And understandably, a lot of these things are quick and you have right, to me, just get to the sound to So for me, as so a journalist, like if I wanted sorry. to talk about, like you said you have a kid, uh, if yeah. I wanted to talk about, if I wanted you to open up about your kid, I would start talking about kids. So you Ooh, can relate you to it. Manipulator, right? I'd that's why how that. I well, that's how I would want you to talk about kids if we were talking about that. This uh, guy's uh, this guy's not like um, you. You aren't an amateur, are you? No. What? The, why does so many people get surprised that I'm because good you, at my job? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I've very worked in radio impressed. for eighteen years. 12, 13 years. Uh, Twenty two. What am I? Thirty six. Fourteen. This fall will be fourteen years with the same company. I've been doing radio since I was 18 years old. You're probably so longer than that. Yeah. Like, I know how to do interviews. Uh, the guy who wrote, and I always forget his name, um, and it's the quotes on my website, deadairdennis.com. Uh, Jay something or other uh, who wrote one of the Walking Dead novels. Oh, I. Uh, okay. It's, uh, but the, yeah, the anyway, TV show he wrote a novel. Uh, and I was at a comic convention and we we're doing an interview with him and I'm by myself and I have the camera and the mic and I'm doing all this stuff. And I get on and I set the camera up and I turn uh, uh, and I walk up there and goes, you don't need a camera? And I like, no. He goes, well, do you need to set it up? And I just flipped the thing up. I was like, that's perfectly framed. You didn't even look at it. I'm like, yeah, I know. So we're doing the interview. I'm asking him a question. Then I ask him a question. And he just stops and goes, that's a really good question. You really know what you're doing. I'm like, yeah, dude. Why do you think I'm interviewing you? And some people, it always amazes me when people get um, surprised that I know what I'm doing. I guess I'm just surprised because like. Well, in this day and age of podcasting. Well, the, I don't know you yeah. from Adam and I just yeah. met you at Porch Fest. So like, but I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed. <laughs> that I have a, a professional, look, <gasps> a professional sounding and looking studio. It, no, it's the professional sounding looking studio. Um, it's the the active listening, the be able, the keeping me on track, and you knowing what the fuck you're talking about. And I'm throwing some pretty wild, like I'm not even wild. It might not be, <laughs> even be complex, complex things, but. You hear that? Um, you hear that? Uh, program director from a radio station that might be listening to this as an air check. Hire me. I'm good at what I'm doing. No, like he could. <laughs> you could interview. Like, wow. Uh, you know, we can we can talk. Uh, I was like, I've done everything from flight attendant to fishwife to fishmonger to you know working <laughs> in Alaska to uh, working at a nonprofit, finding people jobs specifically to working for the Veterans Benefit Administration, which um, I'm actually opening up my own business because. Um, I have a grant, and they're sending me to the New England School of Photography um, to get certified, and I'm opening up a small, um, follow me, mm -hmm. this is not a big secret, 
Um, but I'm opening up a small um, restaurant called Little Shop of Hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, God. I'm just kidding. Oh. I'm just kidding. No, but I am opening up a photography studio, and I'm, um, I will, with the intent of uh, uh, evolving it into a multimedia branch, and um, because as soon as I open up the photography studio and I'm in the business for two years, I can contract to the government um, because they have a $12 billion pie specifically designated to service disabled uh, military veterans, and I am medically retired. So um, after doing the math and looking at their fiscal budgets for the past three or four years, ever since I've been mulling this over my head, about $4.5 billion never gets used, but fiscally it shows up again the next year. (laughs) All this business is dedicated to uh, new small businesses. For disabled veterans. Yeah. So it's it's money. So the money... You're setting up a photography studio to help. I'm setting up a photography studio to get into business so I can be in business for two years. While I'm opening up the photography studio, it will evolve into a multimedia branch where I start producing Fallon's Daily Toast, where I start producing other people doing, um, emulating almost Channel 3, but not really emulating a business. it's It's a place, it's a studio. But I'm emulating okay. a business model that I worked on in uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama. And it was, uh, they do like video production needs and they do this and this and this and that. And long story short, getting into cover- government contracts and this fucking money that's out there that nobody's using. Um, and uh, so. So you're starting the business from a grant from the gu- from the military that is for disabled veterans. Yeah. Okay. There's there there was a little tough following you on that one. I just what I'm getting at is I'm gonna eventually be offering you a job. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. But uh, enough about stroking my own ego. Uh, let's talk about this. So you go back into the army to do broadcast journalism. I go back into the army to do broadcast journalism in 2009. 2009. In, no, 2008. So in your mid 20s. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 2008. I'm 24. Yeah. Um, 20. Is it a reenlistment? Yeah. Okay. Why did you, how did you get out the first time? Pregnancy. You get discharged from the military for pregnancy? I got knocked up in Kiowa Island. I mean, I hate to say knocked up, but um, remember when I said I didn't go to. Um, Qatar. Uh, Qatar. 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 Q-A- Q-A-T-A-R, however that's supposed to be pronounced. It's Qatar. (laughs) Qatar, okay. It's in the United Arab Emirates, blah, blah, blah. Um, Well, Ryan and I had one of these, let me tell you about my best friend. (laughs) You know, like, just great relationship. You You guys met in the army? We met in the army. He said, I I don't want to get into it. I'm into the all-American sweet boy. And, he, you know, all these years later, he's still that all-American sweet boy. Blonde hair, blue eye type. Yeah. yeah. Um, but very uh, reserved, believe it or not. I do my best with introverted men if I don't scare the hell out of them. <laughs> so, so you guys it's, it's you guys we, meet. Yeah, we meet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I give up Boy guitar, meets girl. Boy yeah. meets girl. 
Um, well, they have another. They have. They have their own. Yeah, start but their we own have, family. Yeah. So you get out, and then you're just a military wife at this point. No, actually, because it coincided with him, um, ETSing, which is I don't know, uh, ex- expired term of service. Okay, so he's uh, he did his four years, eight years, right. whatever it is. Okay. So I get in November two thousand, November seventeenth, two thousand four. I get pregnant which is a great story we don't have time for it um uh and get out june 2006 june 20th 2006 and it just coincided with when he got out um we went traveling uh we went camping we did a lot of camping when i was nine months pregnant i was in love with him uh, but anyways, I ended up going back into uh, broadcast journalism, um, which was amazing because I had always, I, watching Zigfield Follies or Dean Martin in A White Christmas, I, I've always wanted to be a producer of some sort or yeah. be in show business in the whole nine yards. Like, you know what it's like. You're doing it right now. Yeah. And you, I, I hope you like me. It sparked when you were a kid. You know, something in you possessed you to fucking want to do entertain the world yeah it's that hey look at me gene it's not it goes so much more yeah well i lo- like i enjoy the producing side of things too like i enjoy working behind the mic as much as i do in the front some me people too. don't and i do both i because think I'm, i think i do both well i probably do behind the mic stuff better are you than an aries no taurus Dear Taurus, but either way, like it's, you're lucky. Like, I know what my zodiac sign is. This could have been this. I, I'm I lucky. I don't even know when Aries hey, is. Diving into a shell bomb, we'll drop it there. <laughs> it's just a kind of like having your cake and eating it too, kind of person. I enjoy producing because um, I want to be in control of the casting. I want to be in control of the locations, and I want to be in control of you know um, so much. But then again, like. You know, I, I actually haven't even been featured in any of the productions I've produced. So I do love being in front of the camera, though. I should show you some work sometime. Uh, broadcast okay, show. So, into, uh, that. so basically, you've now become Joker from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Would you, would you, you that? Have would you ever you, seen that movie? It's been a long time. Oh, Joker is uh, Matthew Modine. He's the uh, journalist. He's journalist, yes. yeah. So I've become. Well, actually, my friend Justin Morelli, who I'm going to make listen to this, he's a. Um, He's a Bostonian, mm-hmm. and he got in a fight for me once at Camden Yards because somebody disrespected me, and, like, Bostonians do not like girls or women getting disrespected for some reason. Okay. Well, uh, he, was always, he was always telling me when I would disrespect myself. He'd be like, Diane, you're so much better than that. You know what I mean? He was an upstanding guy. So, you know, tongue in cheek. Sounds like a mensch. Yeah, a mensch, a good mensch, <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he's an Italian mensch. I mean, anybody can be a mensch. But um, but being but a real stand-up guy, he was a combat cameraman. I was a broadcast journalist, um, which they taught me how to run a radio show, which I'll be mm-hmm. hopefully doing Boston Public Free Radio. If I, well, we'll get into that later. I really, that's my next thing is a radio show because I love to talk, obviously. But, yeah, clearly. So, uh, but uh, they they you know from we can go on and on about Dimfos or the Defense Information School, which is situated in Fort Meade, Maryland, which I call the epicenter of awesomeness <laughs> in between D.C., Annapolis, and Baltimore. Yeah, it's right outside of Columbia. Right outside of Columbia. Yeah, you're 30, 30 45 minutes from Baltimore, 30, 45 minutes from D.C. Uh, speaking of Morelli, you know where he took me? These, because uh, it's a very hands-on, like, outside in the field work. 
And Justin Morelli found this um, fucking abandoned insane asylum. Well, we all said it was an insane asylum. <laughs> but it was like a, an old hospital. It was very dangerous to go into. Like you had to... Um, where and where? It was right outside the gates of Fort Meade, Maryland. Okay. Outside the NSA gate. Oh, uh, just outside of Greenbelt, Maryland. Yeah, um, Greenbelt, Maryland. And oh, it's like going to drive me crazy until I remember the name of it. But I know do you, do I've never been there, there, but I know of it. You know of the I'm hospital? I'm from Baltimore. And You're I worked from in Baltimore. I'm from Baltimore. Camden Yard, Section 86. Yeah. I thought they're my favorite. <laughs> I was there when Leaders hit his first home run, dude. I've okay. been to over 72 ball games at Camden Yards. Okay. Yeah, you said that you got yeah, that he got into a fight with a guy at Camden Yards, and I was going to ask say because I know about the yard because Joe, it, if I you're grew, listening, I know about Memorial Stadium. I All went right, to we games so, at Memorial. Why are we games. talking about boring words? Anyway, but because this is about, I know, I know, you just go on, go on, go on. What are you really know, doing? Know, but anyway, yeah, yeah. so I'm from Baltimore. Yeah, uh, I worked in Montgomery County, but so anyway, you know, so you go to this. Uh, so we go to this abandoned ho- hospital, and it was just interesting. It was just um, kind of like no pun intended. My first exposure to how much fun you can with documenting history okay you know what i mean it there was the you know the abandoned overgrown moss and uh, the ivy and broken floor panels it was <laughs> so dangerous but we'd go in there and photograph it and then like the really creepy children's playground <laughs> a broken swing and then like somebody fucking had to have thrown a dead doll baby in there with red eyes just to fucking scare everybody else <laughs> But yeah, so that didn't magically yeah. appear on its own. Somebody had to put it there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's your yeah. first taste of documenting and doing story work. Well, and that's stuff like that. that's. I mean, if anybody friending me on Facebook and then you, I noticed you did that today. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's part noticed, of my research. Uh, I document history. I document fucking history, and it it's me being bored. Using my dope, you know, ADD camera and taking self-photography with a lot of makeup on, by the way, Mm -hmm. and a lot of light. It's not me, you know, well, it is because I don't identify with looking like, you know, with hair and makeup on. But it's not just that. It goes to, you know, Ricky's Farmer's Market, uh, Buddy's, um, this, this, I'm going to document your lavatory that you have here. Like, documenting everything. I'll go Facebook Live. Everybody needs to document everything about history because we need to remember it. You know what I mean? We need to... People need to know where we've come from. Think archived. of the dark ages. You know what I mean? Everything needs to be archived. Besides, like, maybe... I don't feel like making bad jokes right now. <laughs> There's some things that probably... I try to... I never want to make bad jokes. Just sometimes my jokes are bad. Like, do you remember that movie Running With Scissors? No. Running oh, With God, Scissors? Oh, God, it was so weird. Diane Bennett. No, who is the mom and played in American Pie? American Beauty. American Beauty. Annette uh, Benning. Annette, uh, was it Annette Benning? Annette Benning. It's, re- it's Truman Capote's. Okay. I think it's Truman Capote's story. Okay. His, oh, you got to see it. It's such a, I, I was into very dark films. Um, I don't know. I'm bringing that up so we can move on. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, broadcast journalism. So you're in there and then you got discharged medically. Is that what the scar on your arm's from? Uh, no, the scar on my arm's from when I got pregnant. I will. Okay, real quick. Did you have a bad uh, doctor who thinks the babies come out through the arm? Yeah. (laughs) No, that's not how everybody's baby were born. No. Okay, just real quick story. Um, Back in now, I'm just showing off my observantness. That's all I was. That's smart. I bet you're a good writer. Um, In 2005, um, I had. 
Arar. Well, I'll tell you this. It's a good story. I'll tell it to you. Nobody yeah. judge me. But, um, okay, so anyways, Ryan, I said no to Qatar. Ryan and I got together. We um, had a lot in common in terms of we were very, very free spirits and traveled. And um, we both liked uh, marijuana. And, like, when you find another pothead in the military, and even if though you can't smoke it, you just you get a kingship, you know? Ryan introduced yeah. me to rock and roll. Before that, it was just, like, big band music for me. So Ryan was sweet, and he was... Ryan is, um, you know, one of those human beings that, uh, how did you not get tainted by the world? Why, why do I live with a callous chip and you can see it? What's wrong with you? You know, he's also the type of man when he found out his mother's a multi-billionaire that he didn't flinch. You know what I mean? He's also the type of man that watched me get a C-section and they took my stomach and placed it on my guts and he didn't move. So he has this poker face in any event. He's a, he's a calculated, horrible human being for what he's done to me in the past. And at the very same time, he's the most caring, compassionate, loving, most sound, smartest, most perfect man ever. So in any event, uh, why wouldn't I get into a relationship with him? But um, we went to Kiowa Island, which is off the coast of South Carolina, and um, where you can rent bikes. They're not even rent. The bikes are just spread all across the island. And there's these huge homes, and it's a private island. And, you know, with a military discount off-season, you can get, you know, great stuff. And uh, so I remember, and, you know, I, I'm not at all by any means a free here, and I'm not bringing, you know, any existentialism into this. But God damn it, be specific with the universe when you ask it for something, because sometimes it fucking listens. Because I said to myself this day, on we were in Kiowa Island, and we're on the beach, and... You know, it's just a storm was rolling in, yet there was still sunlight peeking through the sunset. And I said to myself, I want to be with this man for the rest of my life. Somehow, I want to, you know, be with this man. I just know that. He was my first boyfriend, the first man I ever told me I love you. And I was great. So, um, long story short, that was the weekend I got pregnant. Okay. And um, I was pregnant. Um, I took a pregnancy test and... Don't buy the cheap pregnancy <laughs> test. Don't do it. False alarm. Um, and, uh, well, so I thought I was not pregnant. Which I totally, you know, well, we won't get on all that. But um, so, uh, yeah, wasn't pregnant. Didn't tell Ryan. So you were on the island on the vacation and stuff. On an island on a vacation, I got pregnant. You checked that. That's when you found out you were pregnant. No, that's when you guys conceived. Okay. Yeah, that's when okay. we conceived. I'm just throwing that out there to right, save the enough. big reveal. You'll find out how I got fair enough. how I found out I was pregnant here in a minute. <laughs> so uh, the holidays rolled around. Um, he took me home to Thanksgiving to meet his family. Um, I was pregnant at the time. Nobody knew that. His family is very. Um, Did you know it yeah. at the time? Uh, uh, no. So you because, didn't know it either yet. No, okay. I'm not. I'm not very like. I'm. A, I'm healthy as a fucking ox. But the you pregnancy, I mean? like, te- I, the cheap handled... pregnancy sense you took said negative. Negative. And that was wrong. Yeah. So whatever. Okay. So you're there um, at the house. 
I'm out of the house. Family's house. Family's house. For Thanksgiving. And the week before I got to his family's house, Ryan and I were in um, his bedroom and it was like three o'clock in the morning. I left a candle on, so I went and blew it out. But I stuck my whole face in the candle and blew it out. So all the wax came and melted my face. Ah. So I had no eyebrows and no eyelashes. I'm meeting my future in-laws for the first time who are wasps. I mean, they're of the elitist of the elite you can get in the Chicago area. Their family and friends run banks. It's nuts. That's why I never felt comfortable in Chicago. Anyways. <laughs> uh, I love them, clearly. So, um, okay, another month passes by, and, it, you know, roll around Christmas time. Ryan, being the good son that he is, goes home to Crystal Lake, Illinois, for the holidays. And uh, me, being the badass little punk, found some pot on Kiowa Island... And I smoked the ganja. Um, what was so, what was the we long were, and point long long and short of all this? Uh, so you were at Ryan's family's house for Thanksgiving. You didn't know oh, you were I, pregnant. Yeah, and I'm meeting like Mr. and Mrs. Super classy social wasps with no eyelashes and no makeup on. But you know, they're such down to earth people. That, like it didn't matter. That's a preconceived notion, a blinder that builds walls. Some guy in the keys taught me that one. So that's kind of where like, you know what I mean? Like I'm I don't think that, you know, I I wasn't born into a high society family and it made me very nervous for a long time, but that's what I was dealing with and that just the pressures of all that. So anyways, what happened was I got caught smoking pot because I made a stupid joke to my commander about this nun who was like told the pope that you laid back motherfucker because he was the pope was smoking weed in this joke all right i was right it what did not land this was a piece of spaghetti joke that did not fucking stick on the wall and i told it to the wrong outgoing commander and he gave me a drug test that night and i popped um i'll never tell anybody that um who else i smoked with that'll be a secret to my grave, so I took it like a fucking champion. Okay, you're not a stoolie, gotcha. Yeah. So, um, and plus I was pregnant at the time, so you know nothing was gonna fucking happen to that kid. Hmm. Um, but uh, anyways, I didn't know I was pregnant, and we had this, we had tons of woods to play in in on Fort Gordon, and we found this lake that we would go to, and my girlfriend at the time had this. Ford Escort with a trunk of contingencies, as she would call it, with golf balls, um, lighter fluid, uh, medieval uh, swords and hats and the whole nine yards. And uh, we all drank a lot, man. We, I mean, like, I know everybody drinks a lot, like a lot, but, you know, 18, 19-year-old kids dealing with, you know, going to war every three months. Yeah. Like, we were raging yeah. fucking alcoholics. So you're out in the woods. Binge drinking. In Chicago. Visiting. No, 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 no. We're not in Chicago right now. We're in, sorry. South Carolina. Okay. Yeah, close. The coast of uh, South Carolina, whatever yeah. that island was. So yes. Fort Gordon, Georgia, but I brought the weed back, right? And it, okay, sorry. Okay, got, brought the <laughs> weed. This is all going to make sense. Brought the weed from South Carolina to Fort Gordon, Georgia for a Christmas break treat. Okay. For some of my other bad kids in the military that were smoking pot at that time. Okay. Simultaneously, Ryan was not hanging out with us at this pot-fueled party in the middle of the woods. He was in um, 
Illinois with his family in Crystal Lake celebrating the Christmas holiday. Okay. So you visited them for Thanksgiving, went back to Georgia. He stayed. Gotcha. Thank Continue. you. Go. Okay. So um, basically, uh, it's it's really hard for me. You're and, drunk and stoned in the woods. And we're drunk and stoned in the woods. Like, I'm a really good with golf balls and stuff, so we're wacky. But then eventually we get bored and we did like a waterfall with liquor bottles. There's 15 of us. And then so we get bored and, um, you know, hide and go seek is always a fun game. And uh, my friend Corey escalates it to by grabbing one of her Louisville sluggers, an old white T-shirt, and then the um, lighter fluid for the bonfire. And uses it as, makes a torch. Okay. Makes a torch. Yeah, I love you. Like, <laughs> I, I think I want to be your friend after this. <laughs> I hope we get to talk again. You're just cool because that's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. It was Catch the Man with the Torch. <laughs> Somebody, this was going to end badly. Somebody was going to get hurt. Um, but... Um, so you're, were you carrying the torch or were you well, chasing after cor- somebody? You, yeah, that's the thing. One person had the torch. Eight of us were chasing after her. Corey decided to sacrifice herself first to hold the torch, right? Mm-hmm. So we shut off the ignition to the car and it was pitch black with the Just the torch. torch. Just the porch, mm-hmm. so we can't see anything. And um, we're all three sheets to the wind, what have you. And, you know, I, this, was, this was my first rodeo. So I wanted to like make sure that I fucking did this with precision. I do a lot of dumb shit with precision. But like so I took my shoes off and she counts to 10 and it's like hide and go seek and I take my other shoe off and I see her in my sights and god damn it that torch is mine. So I break off at a sprint. And mind you, I was working out a lot back then. I could sprint and I was like, ah, you know, you're drunk so you think you can run a little faster. In the woods, in the dark. In the woods, in the dark and... And she can't hear me because I'm barefoot now. Well, anyways, I run right into the only concrete picnic table <laughs> in the entire wooded area. I mean, it was juxtaposed against a, uh, a an awning, a, a wooden awning where people gather and, you know, a normal place for people to gather. And then, you know, juxtaposed against that, you know, 15, 20 feet away is this lone, one lone table concrete table jesus and you ran right into it oh, right due to in, break right. the arm oh uh, yeah this is compound arm. fracture yeah so that's what the scar's from okay so then like all my friends were underage nobody would take me to the hospital i'm like look fuck you guys i'm in shock i'm not crying take me to the hospital i get to the hospital and my best friend Corey was with me at the time and this guy named tohid tabash tabesh an iranian um who uh what are the if we're expats he's an ex pat he's an expat for an, an Iranian expat. Okay, so he's an yeah. Iranian expat. And um, he was batshit insane, but um, love him to death. We can talk about him later. He was part of, he was the guy I told you wrote the classified reports, sent it up, then it became unclassified. Okay. He was also um, a part of the task force that took out, and I'm not making this up. He was a part of the task force that took out fucking um, uh, Osama Hussein, Osama bin Laden. Oh, part of SEAL Team 6. Yeah. Oh. yeah um, because he was working in, like, because he was a linguist. Because, obviously, he's from Tehran originally. And then he started uh, Intel as soon as he got his clearance. And then he was a part of that task force. I mean, wow. I saw pictures of Osama bin Laden in that spider hole, like, probably three weeks before it was released. Jesus. I know. So it's, it's been a crazy... So he takes you to the hospital? He takes me to the hospital. And they're funny. 
because he has the best sense of humor and they're both making me laugh and you know I'm laying in the bed and um, we finally you know get through the emergency room and I'm always like a cocksucker to these people like <laughs> it's not that I don't have any respect for doctors it's just that I think they get way too much respect yeah. sometimes at the same time we need them right yeah just as much we need them but also at the same but, time yeah. stop telling us that you need us uh, yeah. that we need you stop telling us that we need you we get it yeah we also stop need being you. smarmy but anyway you get it yeah is that where you found out you were pregnant? Yeah, I was just laying in the hospital bed, and they come in. They're like, "Okay, we're gonna have to take some tests on your arm, and it's gonna be like with the the X rays and this and that." Any chance you're pregnant? I say with confidence. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's like the fourth time I've ever had sex, and we used a condom, and I just took a pregnancy test the other day. No way, I'm pregnant. They leave. They come back ten minutes later. Miss Baron, you know, I'm laying in there. My arms now starting to get annoying because they wouldn't give me any drugs without finding if I were pregnant first. And boy, was I looking forward to fucking drugs. <laughs> you know, if I could be any kind of drug addict, I would be like a heroin addict for sure. Like in my 90s. I'll try it. When I'm in my 90s, I'll try it's it. It's gotta be really good if people are still doing it. Ew, it's so gross. You see in Manhattan, though, what these people do. Don't do fucking heroin, kids. This shit's nasty. No, I'm from Baltimore. I was, we've seen yeah. them. They do They do the heroin tight cheat the where lean. they get lean. Yeah. yeah. They lean. How does it like, happen? They're weebles. They're, they wobble, but they won't fall over. What is that? I don't know. It's a, Somehow doing heroin like magnetizes they, they, your feet. They, it, it, the, you look, they, the, the point of falling over for all intents and purposes, gravity, Newton's law, everything, they defy it. Yeah. If you want to be apparently a really good yogi, do heroin. That's apparently how it happens. <laughs> so anyway. That's okay. So that's when you found out you were pregnant. And yeah, that's, they came in. I was like, Eight oh months later, you're discharged from the, from the army. Yeah, but listen to what a class act I am. So Ryan's at home. And listen to what a class act Ryan is. Ryan's at home in Illinois. It's now Christmas Eve, right? And I do get, apparently you can have codeine when you're pregnant. You know what I mean? I didn't ask them to give me an instant, you know, I'm not going to be rude in this podcast. So, um, <laughs> uh, anyways, so I, I, every five minutes, I, you know, as much as they coding would let drip, you, yeah. the coding drip, I loved it. So I called Ryan and I'm like, hey, Ryan, I'm in the hospital and I broke my arm. You know, he left. I didn't tell him I was knocked up because I, I have, like, I'm not Grace Kelly and sometimes I'm crass and like, but I've got this part of me that has manners and class, you know what I mean? And like just human decency. So this isn't a Jerry Springer show. I'm going to tell this man that I'm pregnant in person. Yeah. So, so uh, but I didn't, I, so he left Chicago just on the sole fact that I was his girlfriend. I broke my arm and I was home alone on this, you know, fucking Christmas. Break, holiday yeah. yeah um so yeah it, it, which is the first time i pissed my ex-mother-in-law mm. but he leaves family yeah. so he goes by his, uh, his, uh, he comes comes to georgia you tell he him he comes he comes he comes he comes to the my rescue and ta- first thing he does is takes me out to dinner then he had his own room in the barracks and we get up there and i'm picture you're him and i'm okay. me and i'm just nervous i'm like well hey shucks Hey, Ryan, you know, I broke my arm. He's like, I know, baby, I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, Ryan, you know, there's something else here I got to tell you. And, well, you know what I'm talking about. And and then he's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, well, it's kind of obvious. And just see, the thing is, well, you know, I don't know. Ryan, I'm pregnant. How does he take the news? He just leaned in and gave me a hug. Oh, that's good. And it embraced me. (laughs) For me, you would see a dentist-shaped cloud. And then a dentist shaped hole through the wall. That's how I would react. <laughs> uh, that's 
how I reacted years later. So it anyway. It was the sweetest thing. It's just, um, as much as I hate that man, I have so much compassion. So you go, uh, so you get discharged because because of that. You, yeah, you guys so go around take for off. Years. That was fun. That was Divorce. Fun. Yeah, you go so back I, in the military. Yeah, but I, mind you, I'm, I just got caught for pot, and then I yeah. show up pregnant. The so command loved me. How did you get discharged the second time for a medical? Um, that's what I wanted to know. That's how we got there. That sucks. That's an even better story. Maybe on another podcast we can go into deeper details about it. Let's just say I got irrevocably sick. There's like um, 12% of the population, actually let's be honest, it's 6% of the U.S. population comes down with this illness. Um, nobody knows where it comes from and it comes from like whenever like you're 26 to like maybe 30 and if you don't get it between 26 and 30 you're never going to get it. It's kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a mental health issue. Um, and... Uh, I'm just one of the lucky few that got it. What's the name of it? Why? So everybody can fucking judge me. <laughs> why is that? A, why? How are they going to judge you for? Well, what's because could you tell I was mentally ill before this, or did you just think I was talkative? No, I'm on some pretty fucking fabulous medications, um, which you know we can get into later. But um, it was a diagnosis of um, pretty scary, pretty scary case of. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder disorder okay. um so you're and you're released the, for ptsd and uh, postpartum depression okay yeah all right yeah there's nothing wrong so, with that yeah anyways no it's bipolar <laughs> <laughs> but and those other things but um it was interesting. So were you section... I can cut this out if you no, want. No, it wasn't section eight. eight. No, okay. it wasn't section eight. Actually, if it were, it would be... That's unless fine. I'm going to tell you right now. They should have given me a medical discharge. They didn't. Now um, I'm in litigation. Not even in litigation. We just wrote a letter and we're getting my discharge reclassified. And they are pack paying me for six years... Um, and then the other way I got filthy fucking rich from being bipolar is that I was on a name brand manufactured drug. And I already told you less than 6% of the population gets this. And this manufacturer makes over $50 billion a year marketing to less than 6% of the population of that Jesus six. Christ. Wait, listen to this of that 6%. A smaller percent actually takes the manufacturer that's making over $50 billion. My medication a month is $1,100. Jesus. So, um, anyways, I was on this drug called Abilify. And uh, long story I've heard lawyer commercials. Yeah. Well, I I don't have... Class action lawsuit stuff for that stuff. I don't have a television. And I don't have a computer. And I don't read the news. Since getting diagnosed. Like, I, I'm very highly functional on all these things. But, you know, since getting diagnosed, it's just, it triggers me sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't like, I don't have a fucking television. I just don't, I don't fucking want that on all the time. You know, it's not yeah. necessarily being bipolar. But, like, I hate advertisements, for mm-hmm. example. So I dated this man who, like, was in the music industry. Never date anybody in the music industry if you love music. <laughs> it will I ruin it that. for you. I second that. It will ruin it for you. But what this dipshit did fucking do is I got back from a trip, a work trip to Manhattan. I was auditioning for the actor's studio. 
and uh, it was my I, so I went for 15 days because I had to get away from my boyfriend we were together for six months and it's not what I signed up for originally but anyways just dipshit I'll tell you what when I got home from New York he's like Diane you know how we think there's all these problems with your medications and I'm like yeah I've been telling my doctors for eight or nine months the Abilify is just not working I was on the brand name Abilify and he goes well you know what uh, I'm sorry but I'm going quid pro quo or you know tit for tat with the what this television saying and what it's called I'm like what are you saying here get clear he's like Diane there's a class action lawsuit so get this fuck it I'll tell you guys um my best friend was like don't tell anybody you have money until you're like engaged you know what I mean but listen to this so this is what happens with the class action lawsuit um I have over 900 pages of evidence like my medical evidence uh triangulations of the erratic spending and I don't want to get really boring or whatever but my case is so solid that it wasn't when I first signed up with the class action lawsuit it wasn't supposed to go to litigation for five years let me change my tone of voice when I signed up for this class action lawsuit, um, they were like, okay, thanks for signing up. And I'm like, hey, listen, if I'm gonna, if you guys are going to run up my statute of limitations, let me know because I have an attorney in Manhattan that will take over this case right now. They're like, we'll give you plenty of time to let you know, but we're not going to litigation for at least five years. So just fucking relax. And I'm like, okay, okay. Then I start questioning and they're like, you were going to, we're proving it right now and we are going to litigation with certain Floridians um, this June. And then so I kind of tell them, I'm like, hell, I just found this out from my dipshit boyfriend. As far as I'm concerned, I have a different five ten year plan. I told you about my government contract. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, this is, has nothing to do with anything. But if you are doing something, I have to tell you that I think I have a very legitimate case. And um, they asked for evidence. So I sent them like in a week, 900 pages of like bank statements. And, you know, uh, the fact that I was on the name manufactured brand and yada, 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 yada. And so the, the class action suit for Abilify. So wait, hold on. Yesterday I got a call saying that they're opening my case. Oh, that's great. I called my best friend in Great Neck Island, Long Island, who is an attorney. And I'm like, what does this mean they're opening my case? She says they believe in you and they want. And so they're taking me to litigation uh, sooner than next June. Okay. So what is the class action suit for Abilify for? What is it saying they weren't, that it wasn't doing? Um, okay. So what it's, what it's, it's not Was it placebo-ish? Okay. Or? So it's not placebo-ish. Um, it's, uh, what happens is, okay. So by, um, Abilify treats like, if you follow mental illness, you understand a lot of the, um, symptoms go coincide, side, like, you know, uh, you can be a bipolar and have a lot in common with the depressant, but the depressant doesn't mean you're bipolar and yet. Yeah, yeah. So symptoms are kind of like blah, 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 blah. But uh, uh, the question was um, what the drug Abilify was doing. When you're bipolar, you, um, I don't know if it's Ups a and down, front, manics. Uh, it, and, yeah. It, yeah, besides your manic depressive and then your hypomania, which I'm the hypomania type. You know what I mean? Clearly. I'm not really the president. I, I know. I love it. I love it. All my friends, I just love being, um, it's who I am and it just gets heightened. But what it does is that in the natural state of a bipolar, you're going to have a lot of, um, like I think before I speak now, but um, it's so a lot of compulsive issues. Okay. Uh, sexual deviancy is one of them. I mean, I'm a sexual deviant, but I'm not a sexual deviant, you know what I mean? So that wasn't one of my issues, but that is one of the things that they're suing for. Uh, gambling, um, uh, compulsive eating, and compulsive spending. So Abilify was increasing these things? Abilify was increasing your compulsive... Mania. 
Yeah, where it should have been um, suppressing it. Suppressing it. It was irritating it. Hmm. Yeah. See, I didn't know what that was. So okay. So when did you find out about the class action lawsuit? Five years ago? No, or? like four months ago. Four months ago. Okay. So you got okay. All right. So you're all on that. When you got discharged, you're leaving the army. What were you? What did oh, you do that's why I say you don't have to edit any of this. If you want to, you can. Okay, so this is interesting. What they did to me was um, I, I gave them six years of my life, and um, fuck it. If you're curious about bipolar, you can study how it gradually comes on. But for me, it started with um, racing thoughts. Like I think of it as. Uh, um, a fire hydrant pushed over and the water coming out. That's how much, you know, is going through my brain at any given moment in time. And it's not necessarily like negative thoughts and stuff because I don't watch, like, I don't put bad things in my head so bad things don't come out. Like, I'm innocent. I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to hurt anybody else. I don't hear things and I don't see things. And those are all four solid truths. But, like, you can have rushing thoughts just like mania. It's yeah. mania. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So that crept on. And then um, in November of 2011, without getting into all the details, uh, for some reason, the bipolar just came on full frontal. Uh, it, it, it hit me like a goddamn tsunami. And um, I was living in uh, Alabama, Mobile at the time. And um, I had been seeing a psychiatrist, or a shrink rather, not a shrink, but um, a therapist for two years. And she had never once, never once suggested that I had a mental illness. And it was evident. If you're I mean, going I to see a therapist, say, don't you automatically have a mental illness? Something, you know what I mean? Well, they say that, I mean, I'm like, seeing a they say a lot now, of so. adults experience mental illness, but it's less than 6% that have it for their entire life. You can dip in and out of having a mental illness. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you're right, but there's some validity to that. But, like, furthermore, what a yeah. dipshit. Yeah. I mean, fuck you were even listening to me. Yeah, like, I am I just started seeing a psychiatrist now who has me on Zoloft, which is wonderful. I love it, but he was... You have to was, take it every day. I have the depression. Yeah, I do. Uh, I have obsessive compulsive disorder and depression, and he was asking me, uh, he goes, how long have you been depressed? I'm like, oh, off and on since middle school, probably. Mm. He goes, oh, wow, well... We're probably not going to be able to treat your depression because you've had it so long you don't know what normal feels like. My, my, that's bullshit. Uh, I'm paraphrasing and I make it. I'm exaggerating a little bit on. on but and on the he's being side. a jokester. So, no, he's not. He said that's it very horrible seriously. bedside manner. I'm, I'm saying it in a jokey way. But he basically says, "Wow, you probably don't know what normal." Okay, is. he's but, an idiot. Um, so he goes, "Let's try and treat your uh, your OCD first and see about the depression afterwards." So he puts me on Zoloft oh, that's kind for of the smart. OCD. And I can tell you honestly, it is doing nothing for the OCD, but it's made me, it, it's, it's helped my depression. I've, the I've OCD felt, medicine has helped your depression. Yes, because uh, Zoloft is used to treat both OCD and depression. Okay, good. Um, but I can still tell that I'm uh, obsessive about things. And, and I, you're that religious about taking the pill? Yeah. See, no, I, I'm not. Well, I, I had take, to get an I injection. Oh, no, I, I take tons of pills. I take a bunch of pills oh, every day yeah, now. We have to get into your health. I mean, like when you're ready to talk about it. Oh, I, it's all right. Did I tell you that I had two heart attacks on the stroke? Yeah, I was going to bring okay. beers. And I'm like, yeah, well, maybe not. <laughs> well, technically, I'm not supposed to drink on Zoloft either, but I do it anyway. But um, yeah. so, yeah, point being, 
Uh, I get it. I understand. I'm seeing him. And I'm seeing somebody too now. Uh, oh, so yeah. I'm off and on in that, figuring that stuff out too. Okay, but, that's so you get that your, reminds me. That reminds me. Okay, so anyways, so anyways, um, just the level of the healthcare uh, in the United States and the disconnects in mental health and how hard it is, and we won't get into all that because it's literally uh, a whole another fucking podcast. But my point is. I saw this therapist. She never wrote anything up. She, I mean, I, I have the note. I can pull it up. She gives me a beautiful prognosis report. Diane's well-dressed and well-spoken, has manners. She cares about her son. No, bitch, I'm telling you, I fucking miss my son, you goddamn whore. You know what? It's tearing my life apart. None of that was written up. Anyways, long story short, I love being open. Fuck it. Uh, my name is uh, Abigail Malerney. I'm going to change my identity now that i'm giving you all this information <laughs> all right so uh anyways long story short and then i went to i am like well i'm gonna get a second opinion because I, I think something's going on you know and um i got a second opinion and uh told them everything that was going on and they had the recommendation of my therapist and they uh i'm like well you know i think i'm bipolar this sucks to admit i've never heard of it before but uh, a couple people said that they think i'm bipolar so um so they gave me xanax okay for being bipolar, which is like sticking oil into the fire hydrant and hoping that it'll clog the water. No, it's just going to spill out. Okay, so Xanax didn't work. Xanax doesn't do shit for being bipolar. I have no idea. I don't know, but okay. But a bill if I did. A bill if I did save my life. I have to give it to you. But it wore off very quickly, and it did incite a compulsive spending immediately. But what happened was um, I was fine and dandy. Uh, I fit very well into the good old boys club that was Alabama National Guard. Mm. I, uh, in When it comes to work and seriously taking a professional, I'm a fucking bad bitch. Just love it. I loved it. I love working. You know. So where's your son while you re I'll tell you that in a minute. Okay. Um, because this is important. You know this. He was with me half the time every year until... This. You guys shared custody. Yeah. Um, because I could feel myself sick before we got the divorce, like getting really sick. And nobody in his family was helping me, and he wasn't helping me. And nobody, I just knew I had to get away from my son. So that's how I left my son because I was uh, becoming very ill. Okay. Very quickly. The postpartum and the bipolar stuff. Everything. Okay. So there's that. Um, but, anyways, so what the military did is uh, I, I ended up. You know, everybody wrote me off as just being quirky. Everybody wrote me off as just being weird. Except for this one lieutenant. And she's like, are you seeing somebody? I'm like, yeah, her name's Dr. Mastrone. And she started asking me questions. I'm like, yeah, Dr. Mastrone just says I'm fine. But I think something else is wrong because I can't get over any of this. And uh, so uh, long story short, I, the only time I've ever hurt myself is I cut my finger at a Waffle House because I thought Steve Jobs had... Aristotle, quote, had told Steve Jobs to pass me the torch and I was to take over Apple. But I needed to get out of the South because I thought everybody was trying to kill me. So the only way I figured I could get out of the South was if the black ladies at the Waffle House would help me get out. But I didn't have a pen, so the only thing I could sign in was blood. I cut my finger. (laughs) I know. that Paranoid, insane thoughts. Yeah, that comes along with bipolarness. Yeah. Thank you. But that's about as nuts as it gets. 
but no, so, um, and then I get to the hospital. There's only two ways to get admitted to a mental hospital. Um, there's voluntary and involuntary, uh, or if you want to hurt yourself or if you want to hurt other people, you're automatically in, right? Um, I had cut my finger and the mobile infirmary stitched it up and sent me home. When they asked me why I cut my finger, I told them because Aristotle told Steve Jobs to pass me the torch because I was in jail or Apple. And the mobile infirmary still sent me home. And wow. only, only like six years later, this is all going to come into sense. Did I even figure out what a statute of limitation was? Like, and in the medical field, they're really short time periods. You yeah. know what I mean? So like uh, Revenge Diane came in here in a minute. So I go to one mental hospital finally. Like, okay, so mobile infirmary didn't admit me, but this lady's still tracking me. They sent me to go get evaluated. Mental hospitals suck. They're not like one floor over the cuckoo's nest. They're not fun. You know what I mean? No, yeah, like, they're sad and depressing. Yeah. They're sad and depressing. And like orange Dangerous. juice is never enough. Like they're tiny little orange juice cups and you have, ugh, whatever. <laughs> Okay, long story short, I go too to late. one I go to one, I get <laughs> I get diagnosed too late, yeah. I get diagnosed. You can cut any and all this no, out go, if you want. Keep going. I'm, I'm I get diagnosed, they give me Depakote, which like and lithium. Depakote and lithium to start off with. And since I'm so convincing as a normal person or whatever, um, they let me have internet access where I wrote some of my friends, acquaintances, music buddies. Help, I'm in a mental impossible. They won't let me out. A couple of them didn't talk to me for a couple of years. I freaked some people out. But who in their right mind lets a mental institution patient use the computer? Yeah, that wasn't the best decision on their part, no. I kind I, I kind of want to read those emails that I sent out in those dark days. <laughs> um, so when was, how old were you when this happened? I was, um, I'm 32 now and it was 2011. Was I 26 or 27? So, yeah, 26, 27. Okay. So, so it's, it's right, right around 20s. the time it comes on. Okay. Um, anyway, so I go to the first mental institution and that I was there through Halloween and Thanksgiving. So I'm like, oh, fuck this. I love these holidays. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, I mean, I might be clinically insane and overly paranoid, but I'm a pragmatist when I'm thinking clearly and God damn it, Halloween's fun. So mm -hmm. anyways, first mental hospital sucks. I met this girl. She thought her baby was Jesus. That was weird. I tried talking her out of it. <laughs> and have you already left Ryan and the kid at that point? We'll get back to that. Yeah. That happened several years before that. Yeah. Well, it's it's also interesting because is this what is the how you were treated in the mental institution and with the military not believing you and all that stuff? Is that why that you're you've been involved in veteran affairs? Um, <laughs> hold on. That thing could not have come at a better I moment. I know. I know. <laughs> it's it all kind of it all kind of is involved together and. Uh, just let me finish real quick. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so left first mental institution, Depakote Lithium. Depakote made my eyes dark, and the lithium I heard made me fat, so I, like, stopped taking it. And um, I was living in an apartment with, like, I, I, the electricity was down. I was throwing up everywhere. Like, it was a fucking shamble. You know what I mean? And uh, nobody was there because I didn't have any friends or family. 
and the command had left me go. No, she already went to the medical She's fine. No, I wasn't. So I was off my meds, and then like, I forget what triggered them. I had one conversation with the commander, and they're like, she needs to go back, which was the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. So I go back to this new mental institution under the pretenses that it's going to be like on the Gulf of Mexico with waves and beach and palm trees. They're like, it's called Gulf Oaks. You're going to love it. And I'm like, fine, I'll go. You know what I mean? Um, But, oh, here's the funny part. I'm like, you guys need to let me out of this mental institution out of the army. I'm going to Harvard. (laughs) Okay. Which made me sound crazier. Yes. Right? But it was like I was in touch with the Harvard Extension. Anybody can really. Oh, yeah. Harvard Extension. Anybody can get it. Yes. But according to them, it was just like, all right, now she wants to go to Harvard. Well, it's not Harvard. It's Harvard Extension. But yes, it's Harvard. Yeah. I wasn't telling them it's Harvard, Harvard Extension. It's yeah. Harvard Finger Quotes. Yeah. I wasn't telling them it was the Extension. I was just like, no, I have a real chance of going to Harvard. Give me a break. They kept me in a couple weeks longer for that one. Um, anyways, so I got out of the second one. And then the very next day, after I got out of my second mental institution, um, they said, guess what, Diane? You know how you want to go to Harvard? Here you go. Here's your paperwork. You're out. Discharge for mental. No. They didn't want to deal with me anymore. They, on my paperwork, they gave me an RE code of one, which means I'm allowed to come back in. And they just wanted me off their hands because they, it was going from staff sergeant to staff sergeant would have to watch me like I was a, you know what I mean, on suicide watch or yeah. something. They didn't, like, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of cool right now, but like if I drink, I get really hyper and I'm, I can be hard to handle when I'm hyper. And when I was psycho... I'm having enough trouble roping you in just to tell your story. Exactly. Yeah. So I can't nobody, imagine. Yeah, if you're just, if you're command, drunk out of your gourd, yeah. The command didn't want to deal with me anymore. Yeah. So they just let like me they, go. So they discharged you. Okay. With uh, no health insurance. Oh, ooh, not good for someone who needs to take medication to make them normal every day for the rest of my life. <sighs> so, um, you know the asshole brother-in-law that made me paint the wall. Yeah. That son of a bitch. The day after I got out of the military, he sent me to the Veterans Benefit Administration. And he's like, you have a disability and you were in the hospital while you are in the Army. You need to document this now. So I document it. I let go of the paperwork for two years. Because uh, I really, um, for all intents and purposes, like I, I have an income now. But I was very homeless after leaving the military because I refused to live with my family. And then so I would just travel, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, we can get into this all later, but um, long story short, they fucked me over because they didn't want to deal with me anymore. Like what should have happened is I should have gotten the medical full retirement discharge with the severance pay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was in for six fucking years. It wasn't six days in training. You know what I mean? Um, there should have been a medical board, a process, which would have taken four months. That would have been four months of them mandatory babysitting me. They didn't want to do it. I should have been kicked out, not kicked out, but released under these medical conditions with an RE code of never coming back instead of the RE code of one. So I contacted an attorney. I'm set for life. Oh, nice. You're one of the lucky people. But no, because I know how to read and write. And but they, there's plenty of veterans who don't have that access, who don't have that, or, or, or don't have the the paperwork behind them, or just somebody who's going to fight for them. So or they get denied and they don't know they can appeal. 
Yeah. Or they get an attorney. Like I did it all out. I did it all without an attorney. Um, yeah. There's, you know, it's a, it like I, we've been talking about so many things that can. I, I'm a subject matter expert on. It goes into a million different directions. No, these veterans aren't being taken care of. No. Uh, and later on, um, I did end up getting them for everything. By the way, like as soon as I got medicated. And I could think clearly. I said, hey, wait a minute. You know what I mean? And then yeah. like, you know, so that's kind of what the process I'm in now. So do I feel bad that I'm a part of a class action lawsuit? No, I don't. Do I feel bad that I'm going to get my full medical retirement and my son's going to be able to go to college for free because I'm totally and permanently disabled? No, I don't. Do I feel bad that uh, I'm collecting the Social Security that I paid into? No, I don't. And my veterans' benefits are entitlements. So no, I don't. I don't feel bad about any of that. What I feel bad about is that there are probably 450 to 575,000 veterans out there right now who are starving, homeless, can't advocate for themselves, that are entitled to the same exact thing that I have. And it shouldn't make any of you guys sick out there because veterans are who you need to take over first, right? Uh, anybody who needs help with this country is should be taking care of them. Especially mm-hmm. somebody that fought for it and d- but gave like, their, I, their, I don't their wanna, rights for us. I, so. I guess like I'm kind of like I don't want to feel guilty. Do you have, do you feel like you have like a survivor's remorse? I have a I have a, a I don't know if survivor's sense. remorse is the right way. But like I don't I think it's a do spit you feel the, guilty? I feel guilty like it's a spit in the face when I my best friend Sarah I don't know if she knows any better if she's just being a cunt but she's like I pay for you Diane. And I kind of want to say, like, well, didn't I? I'm only getting certain, and it's not a lot of Social Security, you know, my other paycheck, but I'm pretty sure I paid into that. Yeah, but also you're getting all this because they didn't take care of you when you needed it to. No. They if they would have done the right thing at the you right guys, time. guys, I was two years, two years before I'd get health insurance again. And, like, bipolar can mirror schizophrenia in a way. I No, I wasn't seeing or hearing things, but... God, it was scary. Yeah. And I'm not getting into it because this is not crimey hour. Yeah. But do I feel bad for taking them for and knowing what, you know? No, you shouldn't. No, I don't. So I don't. And I'm also not trying to suckle off the teat of the government for the rest of my life. But because I am disabled and I know how to read... There's a grant that'll help me start my own business for $25,000. And then I'll contract to the government. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all this money comes in and that's what we're talking about. So what, what do you do with all this money? I'm giving it to my son. Yeah. I don't give a fuck about it. I think you need enough money to eat, have a roof over your head. But like for it to be, you know, causing wars and oil and unfair monopolies and Impoverished third world countries will never recover because people, two, three families are making money off of the resources in those third world countries here in America or something like that. It's not fair. You know what I mean? So like I do feel kind of, you know, and I don't like disclosing the money, but then everybody wants to know. It's I call it a frequently asked question. Like, well, what do you do for a living? You know, well, I do this. I'm a director. I'm a producer. Okay, well, where'd your money come from? Then I'm like, you know, I never tell people that, you know, well, first of all, I... It had to have been about five different lawsuits, but they all worked out. When did you start getting involved in making films? Uh, 
Thank you for changing. Because you went to the Tisch School of No, acting? Tisch is amazing. I went to a better. Tisch is cool. <laughs> oh, it's an amazing school. I went somewhere better, though. I did. I did. What Tisch does is it's an NYU school, and it's so fabulous. But um, Ted Zerkowski, my acting for comedy teacher at the Lee Strasberg, for instance, teaches a class at Tisch. But Tisch gives their students an incredible opportunity to study at any of the group theater, um, group theater being um, Stella Adler, Sandy Meisner of... Uh, the Meisner Method, yeah. The Meisner Method, uh, but he has the Playhouse in Manhattan, and Stella Adler has the Stella Adler Studio, and Lee Strasberg has Lee Strasberg Institute, and there's the new school, and uh, I don't think Juilliard plays too well with um, Tisch, but I know Tisch will let their students take classes simultaneously at the Strasburg, um, at Sandy Meisner's place, and at uh, Stella, and so on and so forth. Um, but so, like, essentially, Tisch students, because I went to Stella Adler and the Lee Strasburg, Tisch students paid to go to where I was going. So I'm very proud of my time spent at the Lee Strasburg and. You went for acting or? I went for acting. Oh, yeah, which which bleeds in. Okay, so after like, yeah, okay, so I get all the money that, you know, should have been there and I'm finally I can breathe again. But I'm like, so what do people do? You know, you keep working. That's what, you know. So and I, I networked my position into ironically working for the Veterans Benefit Administration, which are highly coveted jobs, very hard to get. Um, GS-12 so you're making six figures in seven years and you're, you know, I was in the HR office and I'm sorry if this all gets boring, but you know, the day the lady who hired me was retiring and they're like, you get in the block on black or the block on Tam Mercedes. Nobody leaves these jobs. You know what I mean? But I was sitting in the office as the examiner and reading people's medical records all day. And they're interesting for the first hundred thousand. Then the job never changed. And, and, uh, I started looking into acting schools and I said, you know, I'm making enough money to where I don't have to do this job. And it's just for more money. And I don't, I don't know how to, I just, I conceptually, I've never really understood money. We didn't grow up with it or my, or my dad. I didn't, I just, I understand that I'm kind of depressed when I don't have a lot of it. When did you, okay, that's fine. But when did, what made you want to go to acting school? Was oh. it because you were doing journalism yeah. stuff and you're like, you want to be oh, on documentarian? Yeah. Or? Oh, no. What made me go to acting school is because um, when I was a kid, I was a Lockheed kid and we would watch a lot of television, old Hollywood, AMC, but my favorite was Saturday Night Live. Okay. And I was always I was kind of smart back then, like you. You just seem inherently smart. So I'm like, well, how did these people get on Saturday Night Live and where did they come from? And so I started doing research or like, you know, interrogating, you know what I mean? Like my godmother, the one who I said, I'm going to join the military. She watch, she makes me watch hair before I do it, make an informed decision. But I, and she said, oh, they, you know, uh, the second city, I kept hearing the second city in my head. And this was even before Tina Fey or like, you know, uh, Stephen Colbert was even there. It was just the core group of just, you know, Gilda Radner and, you know, Elaine May and Mike Nichols, the founders and just everything about the second city. So I lived in Chicago for about two years just getting on new medications and finally when I felt stable enough to go and I did it, I did, I did, I did three or four levels. I'm an advanced improver at the Chicago's second city okay. um, and scenic improv. 
very, very happy about that. It was um, the start of my, I, I say that if, you know, everything that happened that we just went over, it can leave, I don't, t I don't judge a man of how he falls, you know what I mean? But I, it is how you pick yourself back up and where you go from there. That's what I'll judge your character on. And if I, I put on my LinkedIn profile, if like, you know, if I were a heart patient, then, you know, the second city where the real world renowned cardiologist that came back and performed heart surgery on me and brought me back to life. They really did improv changed my life. And um, I've, I've, I've just like, you know, I've always loved acting. I can't even watch Netflix or anything. I want to act. That's all I want to do. And uh, so I found an acting school. And now you're making films. I'm making films because um, I went to acting school. I went to uh, a couple different acting schools before I found my favorite, the Lee Strasberg. But um, in between, which is a funny story I should tell you one day, how I got my casting first casting director intern position, which was at Liz Louise Casting. And I just, I noticed who they were casting and what they were casting for and what these people look like. And I quickly realized that um, nobody was just going to walk up to me and say, hey, Diane, you want to be in a movie? You know what I mean? Yeah. So you decided to take, the, take it into your own hands and take start it making it into my own out. hands. So, do you, uh, so right now, that's why you're in Boston now is because you're making... I'm in Boston because um, I ran away summer. from Chicago. Just kidding. <laughs> no, the, the, I'm in Boston. Oh, that's why I'm here. I, I ran out yeah. of bridges to burn in Baltimore. I needed new we bridges. To, yeah, <laughs> I want to interview you. You should do my podcast. Um, so I, uh, no, it's so okay. You're, I, you're here because you're making I, a No, movie. I was taking a directing class at Harvard. Yeah, that's what you were telling me the other day. Directing class at Harvard. Sorry, yes. Yeah. So I knew you were in town just for you, the summer. you, everybody, at the <laughs> mental institution. I did make it. Harvard Extension Summer School, but I didn't make it, goddammit. I said getting up to Boston's like climbing a Nepalese mountain took forever. <laughs> so you're taking the directing class, and then while you're here in class and school, you're making a movie with a bunch of comedian friends that I know. Yeah, Bad Ballerina. We were supposed to do Bad Ballerina. Um, Bad Ballerina is something I shot in New York a year ago, last summer. It was birth that I was taking a ballet class at Lee Strasberg. I'll be honest, I was kind of hungover. I know it's not attractive. And I had these uh, little uh, raccoon eyes and I was just feeling fat and bloated and they're pirouetting and going through, you know, these dance, these skills, these moves. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, Diane, you're just a bad ballerina. <laughs> you're a bad ballerina. So I left class early and I'm like, fuck this ballet class. And, you know, I'm not going to belittle myself by looking at myself, fail miserably. Well, everybody else is so graceful on their toes, so to speak. So I left the class and I jaywalked while lighting a cigarette. I pushed over an old lady and barreled my way through a crowd, crashed in Union Square Park, and said, Damn, I was breaking the law. Breaking the law, breaking the law. And I was like, Bad ballerina. Bad ballerina, breaking the law should be a series of ballerinas doing bad shit and never suffering the ramifications of their actions. No. Everybody else in the wake of their madness suffers the ramifications of their actness. actions. Enter my uh, protagonist, Gabriel Pacheco. He's amazing. We'll watch Bad Ballerina together sometime. Yeah. You're writing Bad Ballerina. Is that what you're filming here? I wrote Bad Ballerina 1, and um, the intention was to do Bad Ballerina 2, The Bad Librarian, starring Valley. 
Okay. And we did some press for it. I was on Fallon's Daily Toast. And, you know, I just, I, 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 I mulled over it and I wrote it and... I'm old-fashioned, so I write on paper, and, like, maybe I wasn't committing it because I didn't take a picture and save it to my G-Jar. For some reason or another, I lost fucking gusto in this project. Gusto? I just... A gusto. The gusto. The... the je ne sais quoi? The je ne sais quoi. Okay, gotcha. It was just, like... I knew I wanted to work with Gabriel. I love Gabriel. Um, and having him return to the screen adds continuity to my body of work. You know what I mean? You see yeah. it all the time. Brat packs and such. And I just... I know I love working with him, and I still wanted to work with Valley, but... Bad Ballerina was done. In my eyes, that there was a couple locations that I had um, set and they had to pull out, like we had a motorized boat and then just, it just logistically, nothing was really coming together. And I'm, I can write a treatment for a character. I, I, writing dialogue plays not my forte. So it's like a Larry David blueprint, you know, base outline kind of open dialogue. That's why I love improvers and smart comedians. But um, your question. What is the movie that you're filming here? Bad Librarians, which is the no, sequel to Bad, bad Librarian. Bad, li- bad Ballerina, Bad Librarian got canned. Last, last minute. Called a bipolar choice. So the thing that you came here to, that you were going to film, the, the sequel to Bad Ballerina. It's done. Not going to happen. Not this summer. Ah, uh-huh. when did this happen? We just talked Saturday. I know. I have a new plan. So literally six days ago, you told me you were here to film a movie, that you were going to film a movie. You're taking the direct class. You're going to make the, the, this thing with her tomorrow. Well, That's know, why we couldn't do it. I know. Well, listen, 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 listen. Half the shoots are outside. They're on the Charles River. Then I had them in the boat, and then the boat guy canceled. All my shots are outside. There's a 60% chance of rain in the area for the next fucking two years in Boston. <laughs> yeah, the weather is fucking raging. It's and I July told you 14th, about the Dunstable mess. And it's 60 degrees outside. It's retarded. I mean, I love I it, kind thing. of. I, I love the So you told me about weather. the barn. Are you going to be using it for a location? Well, yeah, let me tell you. Let me tell you. So we scrapped, we scrapped Bad Ballerina. And two. we need Bad Ballerina, the Bad Librarian 2 mm-hmm. is postponed. It's not necessarily scrapped because I want to make Bad Ballerina, Bad Ballerina goes to Bora Bora really bad and I can't do that <laughs> with them too. So, uh, you know, uh, being the improviser that I am, I asked Fallon O'Brien to marry me. I'm like, come on. I'm like, a gold mine, hidden benefits. Just let me take care of you. Make me an honest woman. And she said no. And I'm like, let's debate this, which I think is great. So we're taking the Dunstable Mass, John Mason, the guy lending yeah, us the house. The barn. And I'm not really allowed to talk about it because Gabriel was interviewed earlier about it and he didn't talk about it. Let's just say we're going to have a conversation all around, um, well, I'm 32 and, well, it's around marriage. It's around um, open marriage. Um, it's, you know... The, the idea of kids, do you want kids? I don't want kids. Do I want kids? All of a sudden, I want kids. Now we're talking about kids. You know what I mean? Money. You know what I mean? Um, but there is a surprise. Like, Valley in the end is going to, like, throw Gabriel, like, okay, so, um, by the way, you know, now that, because I hope they see eye to eye in the end. It is a love story or whatever. Then she's going to be like, yeah, well, thank you for loving me. Now I'm going to take care of you for the rest of your life because I'm a millionaire. You know, because that's what happened to me um, with Ryan. Uh, I visited Florida and I came home and I was like, Ryan, 
I, it's not that I don't love you. It's just I'm not in love with you anymore. And I might have fallen in love with somebody else. And if I did that, then that's not fair to you. I never cheated on him. And then I'm like, I hope everything goes well in your life. And he's like, yeah, everything's going really well. Because his mom just married some super fucking loathy dude. And everything's <clears throat> so I'm just like, you know what I mean? It's like irony. It's life. You know what I mean? Like, would this change anything? That didn't change anything for me. I wasn't going to kiss Ryan's ass and try to fall back in love with him just because I found out there's Escobar money in the family now. So the thing that you're shooting tomorrow with Val and Brian is his name or Gabriel? Gabriel. Gabriel. Okay. I felt like there was a Brian mentioned somewhere and I get, I get confused. I wasn't writing down notes, so I, I forget things. That's why I have a patent paper. The thing you guys are shooting is a documentary. Conversation, conversation around marriage. And I would like to know, you know what I mean? Like, if in fact, you know, how much is Valerie getting money ma- would... Is Valerie getting married? No, but Valerie's a smart girl. Nobody's getting married. Okay. It's just a conversation. Like, when I was at the Second City, I was friends with this girl named Shada Grassi. She's a really... She produces Mortified. Um, if you look it up, it's all around the country. But um, she was a friend of mine in Second City, and she said... She was dating a guy from Boston, and then they broke up, and... She had a good friend. She's like, yeah, this girlfriend of me, we're going to have a Boston marriage. And I said to myself, well, I fucking, what's a Boston marriage? The way she described a Boston marriage to me was that, you know, um, two people come together. They live amicably in an open or not open relationship. um, That they share the finances, that it's usually an artistic, you know, union and um, everybody has their cake thing. made, too. Well, <laughs> she's Boston an asshole. She wasn't. Yeah. And then I interviewed these other people, and they said a Boston marriage is like that transatlantic old money couple, and that's a Boston marriage. And then there's marriage. And then there's what I find most fascinating, the open relationship. And I think that's a can of worms. So what basically we're doing tomorrow is we're going to John Mason, the co-producer. I'm going to give him that credit. Um, we're going to his property in Dunstable, Mass. We're from 10 o'clock to 3. And um, we are going to film a, uh, hopefully, a very riveting conversation um, with uh, polarizing viewpoints. And under my direction, we'll get a lot of intel. Is this going to be a documentary or is this fiction? Um, this is fiction. Okay, so because that's why I'm, that's I, why I got. That's anytime where, <laughs> you're working with comedians and giving them the liberty to improv, fiction is just it's fiction. The way it sounded, it sounded like you're shooting a documentary almost uh, uh, with people's opinions about marriage. Okay, no, that's so, just okay. because we've been talking for three hours and like um, my inflection. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm getting monotone because I'm really excited about this. It sounds like it's going to be interesting now that I know it's fiction. I mean, it's it's something to pull out of my ass. Valley, she's been all around the world this summer, Russia, Cyprus, and she's been telling her friends and family she's getting, you know, she's starring in Bad Ballerina. Gabriel, for Christ's sake, he landed today with Amber, you know what I mean? Thinking they're all going to be doing Bad Ballerina. I had to give them something. So why not discuss marriage, for Christ's sake? (laughs) As characters. As characters. As The, I'm placing them as the intellectual elite, like in, um, where are we, New England. So I think Gabriel brought a peach shirt, a peach collared shirt, and maybe some loafers. Okay. And a fedora. Alrighty. Sounds very douchey. 
which I think that's what he was aiming for. Where, when this is done, where are they going to be able to see it? <clears throat> you know, a lot of people say that. Um, I'm kind of against Venmo because it's like uh, they have a very Vimeo. Vimeo. I've had uh, nothing but problems uploading. I hate them. Every time yeah. I, I it, it, they're like, I get that they're uncompressed and it's you get you get mm. better image, but it takes so long to load. I mean, it shouldn't take that long. No, I can never, I've never been able to watch a Vimeo video all the way through. You know, as because it keeps pausing uploaded. and I just throw my hands up and I give up. But yep. that's why. I, sorry, YouTube is compression, but it's good compression and I like it and it's quick and fast and I have no problems with it. So. And then there's Facebook, which is a double-edged sword. Not only does it have the fastest motherfucking uploader, but you can't extract the file later on. I mean, there's one way you can do it. You can go into your settings and extract your entire file at any point in time and puts it in a zip. You can send it to your G drive. It archives literally every footprint you make. But in this case, it's not easy to pull videos off of Facebook, Facebook that you uploaded Fastly onto, so I don't know. Uh, I that's what the New England School of Photography in the first year that I'll be there. They're gonna uh, teach us website building content. Okay. As of right now, it's just I, I'm a junkie for myself. Like doing all this publicity makes me, you know, really feel like. A, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I am a director and a producer, but it makes me feel a little more real. But I don't have a professional outlet for it right now because I couldn't even get anybody to watch Bad Ballerina One. You know what I mean? Well, where actually, can people see that? On my Facebook. So it's only only up on Facebook. I'll release it again on Facebook, but... Uh, Forget Facebook. Why don't I put it up on YouTube, too? But if you put it on more outlets... Yeah. The more outlets you put it out on, the, the people are able to see it. I know, which is cool. Because trust me, promoting a thing is a whole nother job. Uh, promoting... Uh, what's it, a short? How long is yeah, Bad Ballerina? I guess I should give a shit, because people do need to see this... How but long like is Bad Bound Rain? Ten minutes, twenty minutes, twenty-six. Wow, that's a that's a long short. It was unedited. I mean, it was edited, but like I kept a lot in because it was like a director's cut. I yeah, think. you got to learn to kill your babies. Yeah, I still have a problem with it myself, especially when it comes to joke writing. There's certain jokes that I still tell just because I enjoy them. Uh, l- uh, do you have a website yet um, or a YouTube? The best way to find me is. Um, because when this this random conversation random one days on Jed's basements. <laughs> no, um, the best way to get a hold of me is uh, Diane the Magnificent. That's on Instagram. D I A N N E the Magnificent spelled correctly. That's at Gmail. Okay. And then there is Diane the Magnificent on Instagram. Yep. And there you have it, my podcast with Diane Carroll, uh, counterintelligence agent and filmmaker. It was a, it was a fascinating listen. All right, so here's the thing though. Her, you just heard her talk about all the movies and stuff like that. And she was going to do the marriage talk thing with them. That never happened because later that night I I ended up giving her a ride home. um, And in the midst of the car, we were talking and I was like, hey, you know what? I got these these small short sketches. If you ever want to work together and and make these, I'd be happy. And she's like, oh, yeah, great. What are they? And I give her the link to where I store everything. And she's reading. I was like, oh, these are these are great. Hey, can I make one of these tomorrow instead? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Go make two of them. I don't care as long as they get made. Uh, so she ended up making one of my uh, sketches with uh, Valley and uh, uh, and Gabriel Pacheco. Uh, so they end up making it. Uh, she's still in the editing process. So when that's out, uh, and I'll, I'll put a link to it on deadairdentist.com and I'll tweet about it. So if you follow me on social media, you'll, you'll see about it. Um, and I think she's making another one of my things. I, I don't care. Just credit me. You want to make one of the dumb sketches I write, uh, which aren't many of them, just 
be my guest. Go for it. They're all online at deadairdennis.com. Just, you know, credit me as the writer. That's all I care. I just want them to be made. I think they're funny. I think they're good. So we'll see how those turn out in the future. I saw a little bit of a rough draft and they improved a little bit, which I like. Um, so I think it's, I think it'll be, it'll be good. We'll see. But anyway, yeah, fascinating talk about, uh, mental health. Uh, we went deep into it, uh, because, you know, there's a lot there and a lot of people are, are suffering from it. So it's something that we had to talk about. Uh, something else I got to talk about is, uh, let's, uh, comics, comics, comedy club and Mohegan Sun. I did that, uh, last night and, uh, well, here's the thing about it. Uh, I did not move on to the second round. Basically it's a competition thing that this club does. I did it two years ago when it was at Foxwoods. They're at Mohegan Sun now, which is a casino in Connecticut, um, which is not far from Foxwoods. It's like basically across the street. Uh, and I had a great set. I'm happy with it. I did not move on. Um, I had a fun trip all the way out to Connecticut with uh, my roommates or my former roommate's dog. Uh, I'm dog sitting and I brought uh, Pepper, uh, this adorable, cute beagle that's sitting in my lap right now, just quietly just laying there. Uh, never barks. She like there was a, I'm house sitting at their place. And yesterday the mailman came by uh, or Saturday the mailman came by and she just got up and went. Like it's not even a bark or a growl, just murr. Um, and she's adorable, so she's just sitting here in my lap as I'm recording this. Um, but yeah, so it was a fun trip. I enjoyed it. I got laughs. I think I got a pretty decent tape out of it. We'll we'll see. Uh, uh, so I'm happy about that. So comedy things. That's it. And then I'm doing a well. Not, I don't want to say taking a break. I'm not taking a break. Uh, in the month of August, I am not doing any comedy shows and I'm not working to have any because I have a ton of rehearsals for this play that's coming out. I'm doing a, it's a series of short plays, um, for this local theater group. Uh, and it's called the festival at first nine. Uh, oh, festival at first nine. So they're, <laughs> it's a weird group. I'm not even quite sure where they are, but they're great. Uh, it's, uh, six short plays all about Boston and I'm doing one of the plays in it and uh they're all pretty funny and I'm actually impressed with how funny a lot of them are um but the, here's the thing uh they hired me they they casted me in the only role that is not comical <laughs> like I play a guy who beats his wife that dies in the Coco Club fire of 1942 or whatever it is that's apparently a very famous fire here in Boston every other sketch hilarious me they cast they even specifically said hey uh the role's not there's not a lot of jokes in it uh you were very funny in the audition uh but uh the role does uh have a lot of uh opportunities for you to do physical comedy where I think you shine the most in the audition and I was like I don't I didn't do anything physical <laughs> and the only physical comedy stuff is uh, roughing up another guy. Like it's going to be a good place. So if you're in the Boston area, uh, some of us we're doing it at one of my favorite places, the rock, the Rockwell in Davis square, uh, formerly the Davis square theater, but that's now called the Rockwell. Uh, it's right next to saloon if you're, uh, on Elm, if you're familiar with it. Uh, but yeah, we're doing a bunch of those like August 18th through the 26th um, shows Friday, Saturday, uh, and I think there's a matinee on Sunday, deadairdentist.com if you want to check that out. It's going to be a fun play. I'm actually really impressed with uh, what everybody's bringing to the table on that because uh, I walked into it and I was like, oh, community theater. Oh, you guys wrote it yourself? Oh, you know, as I make a jerking off motion. But they're actually very uh, talented. A lot of them are very talented um, and the writing is actually very good and I'm very impressed with it. I'm very happy I'm a part of it and I'm glad that they made me a part of it as well. So uh, if you want to do that, check that out out and uh, like I said stay to the website and we'll see more coming out uh, about the sketches that they get finished and they get uh, filmed and get put online so 
Anyway, thank you again for listening. Ah.